0: what's going on everyone welcome back to i came with fire podcast tonight we are on with aaron love aaron is back he was a super big fan favorite last time we got a ton of positive feedback about you being on here man um yeah we're excited to have you back i know this could be a great conversation um zach is the first time talking to you and uh i know he's excited too
1: yeah thanks for having me on dude appreciate it
0: absolutely so what you been up to man
1: same old, same old, man. Just trying to, uh, trying to maintain my bearing in this world of crazy stuff that's going on, and trying to dig my way down to the truth, and and try to figure out what's going on, and and you know how it is. Like you try to live locally and think globally, and and move on with your your normal life, and try to you know surround yourself with like-minded individuals, and talk to your friends, and not get too upset about things that you can't control. But I got to be honest with you, it's kind of tough in this crazy world. So it's, here we are. It's so very true. you know,
0: absolutely, man. Yeah. And, uh, it definitely, I think it's no, it's no, no secret. I've said before that, uh, I live in California and, um, it's, it's kind of hard to, uh, get past a lot of the stuff that happens out here and then see just how much the broader scale of the United States tends to go kind of the same way of what, what happens in California and some of the the thought processes out here. So it is, it is really difficult, but
2: it's the same thing up here in New York state where I'm at, um. I'm on the upstate New York and I would say they're pretty down to earth, understand how things go. But uh, just like how Washington's controlled by Seattle and California's controlled by the cities, New York is controlled by New York City and its policies. So drive four hours away and it's like your voice doesn't matter. That's true.
0: Yeah, man. Um so I just want to say real quick, too, while we're, we're on here is uh, when when you and I talk sometimes, Aaron, you, you say these two words that I really like. Uh, you like to say, we continue. And um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I take away from, from talking to you and then doing episodes like this is uh, that despite all the shit going on in our country, like there's a message and there's, there's ideals that we want to a emulate and B project and, and get out there to other people. And I think there's a lot of things clouding what the United States really stands for. And so the message that you're trying to push, I think is a really, really good one. And it's one that we want to push as well. You know, some of the other stuff that we want to talk about. Um, but it really reminds me of that quote, um, one of the it's the same quote that mattis put out to the troops when he left uh, his sec def position it's a lincoln quote um and your we continue makes you think of it that quote is uh let nothing which is transpiring change hinder or delay your military movements or plans but just your plans right so with everything going on in the world um you're just steadfast in those beliefs, those things that you like to talk about. And that's really what draws me to you. And I think it's really what draws a lot of the people that have listened to us and a lot of the positive comments that we got about you the last time those people tend to congregate towards those ideals as well. So, um, expect, expect more of Aaron on here because we, we really enjoy that, that uh, those ideals and everything, but yeah, man, I really like that. We continue. That would be a pretty sick t-shirt, honestly.
1: it's simple like here's the thing that i've found out as i've gotten a little bit older and for whatever wisdom i think i'm gonna like pass to people like again i I, i'm not narcissistic enough to think that i know anything but you know what you you have to be able to boil your things down and and it's a bumper sticker world right if i can't tell you what my ideals what my culture what my values what my morals are if i can't boil that down like we continue as a simple truth man like you can, you can give me all the hate you want. I get death threats on my account. I get people that hit me up every single comment section. And if you look at my comment section, they're a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I try to do my best to, I, you know, I, I don't make any bones about it. I'm not here for discourse. Discourse hasn't worked. Turning the other cheek, you know, the constant, you know, conservative or libertarian or sort of middle of the road is like, well, let's, let's just be bygones, be bygones. And if you want to go do, that's why we can't. People can't answer that. That's why people can't say, you know, hey, they can't call the government out for for corruption when they see it is because while we have been saying, okay, well, let's just let everybody do what they want. And I just want to be left alone. That doesn't work, man. Like, that's not a thing that, that works. I'm I do not care. I'm not here for discourse. I'm here to provide a voice. I'm here to provide some backing. I'm here to provide some credibility to a movement that's important. And what that movement is, is that there are things that are important to the health of this country. There are things that are important to the well-being of the citizens of this country. And I'm going to continue. I am indefatigable in the way that I will approach these things. So when people text me and they're like, hey, man, I get, and I'll tell you what, I get 10 times more positive messages Than I do negative messages, but it's like, Hey, thank you for providing a voice. The, the messages, thank you for saying the things that I'm not allowed to say online. You know what? We're going to continue. We continue. We're going to keep going forward and I'm not going to be stopped by silly little trolls in the comments. You're not going to hurt my feelings online. You're not going to make me feel bad about having morals and values and ethics and things that I hold dear, like the constitution, the United States of America and who we are as Americans. So we're going to continue and unless you can boil it down, unless you can make those things into a short, little bite-sized piece for people in the, in this world, you're not going to get your message across. So you know what? We continue.
0: I totally yeah, agree with you for
2: sure. And I like, I like the uh... guys, man. Oh, thanks. I like the uh, activism part to it, right? You said how you can't just kind of turn the cheek uh, or just let it keep happening because that's what got us here today. That's got, you know, why we're where we're at, why we have a recession, why we have not strong leaders, all type of stuff yeah. is because we just thought, oh, well, we'll just be we'll be the, the nice guys. We'll be the the. Um, we're
1: going to be you know, professional. We're going to turn yeah, it. You know exactly. what? Here's here's what I'll say is like, you know, the, the turn the other cheek thing came from Jesus. And I try not to in, inject any specific religiosity because that's like, that's not what I'm about. That's a personal held belief for me. But uh, you know what? Jesus turned the other cheek. And what happened to him? He was he was crucified by his government. Like, so yep. that's what happened. So that's what happened to the last guy. That was a perfect example of how to be a passive individual. And that's what happened. Um, at least in the allegory and the story of, of that thing. So, you know, that, that time is over, you know, there's a bunch of other conservative voices out there that you, that say, you know, cutesy time is over and the time for live and let live like that's over. We we've lost that game. And for a long time we have lost ground. We, you know, the, the slippery slope is a very real thing, ladies and gentlemen. And we have lost a lot of ground on the slippery slope by just being like, okay, well, fine. you know, Maybe we'll let you just have this concession and then this concession and then this concession. And then pretty soon you're like, wow, these rights and privileges that we were supposed to be endowed by a creator, they no longer exist. And it's because for so long people were silent. I'm okay not being silent. I enjoy conflict. I'm okay in chaos. So if that's what we need to do, then that's what we need to do. So let's start figuring out how it is that we play the game with the rules that are set out. And We go from there.
2: I totally agree. Yeah, you know, the too. silent majority needs to be the uh, needs to be the active majority now. Like you need to be loud and voice your concerns and uh, your expressions. I also like how you, you say a lot how a lot of people can't have more than two ideas in their head. <laughs> That's completely true. A lot of people I talk with, uh, close friends and stuff, you try to have a conversation and they're just so ingrained in. Uh, well, I was told this thing by the person I follow, so I just have to keep repeating it. It's like, well, have you ever had? a thought the other way, like maybe from the other perspective, the other point of view. Um, I try to live that way, always think it from both ends and then come to a decision. I don't want to be an echo chamber. Absolutely, man.
0: And I've tried to have conversations like that we probably all have with like friends or family members, which can be dangerous ground, especially if you're family. But, you know, when you try to point out how somebody's unilaterally thinking about like one party or another or whatever, and you're just trying to point out like those are the same, those are two wings on the same bird. I get hit with a lot of like, Oh, like, you know, what about ism is in an argument or whatever. And it's like, I'm not saying what, if you know, if this is okay, then that's okay. I'm not making concessions or excuses for one end of the other. I'm trying to tell you that at the end of the day, we've moved past the point where the government does not care about us. The government cares about extending itself, extending its life, you know, asserting more control—that's what it cares about, not the American people anymore. And that's the point I'm trying to make and get people to understand: is that um, the time for party lines and all of this, this moving up to the threshold, you know, and seeing what we can get away with, and move back—all of this is it's over. Is we've reached the point of no return, um, and it's hard to get that message across to people who can't just get out of that rut of, you know, I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative or whatever. Why
2: not just be an American? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Saying that you have a party is like going to like saying I'm a liberal or I'm and this is the thing that people I mean, they constantly like, obviously, I have a conservative bent, obviously, because I, you know, I am a uh, a, I, I would be considered a classical liberal if that word actually meant what it was supposed to mean. Right. Like the minimum amount of government, the maximum amount of individual freedom and liberty you leave everybody else alone. What happens on your 40 acres does not happen on mine. And you know, you're good with it as long as you don't come over across my fence. Like, but that, that word has taken on such of a semantic overload and such of a semantic punch that I can't even use it anymore. So, you know, you kind of say independent, but you know, in, in the vein of people can't have two ideas in their head at the same point, like I can sit here and I can say, uh, you know, I, I disagree with some of the policy decisions that are going on. I disagree with the, the entire progressive movement because i 100% do, but I'm also not a Trump guy. I'm also not a Republican. I also understand that there is hypocrisy on both sides of it. And people y- like to use the, you know, the, the analogy, well, it's two wings of the same bird. Okay. Right. But you're begging the question. I don't want a bird. I w- I don't want the bird right. at all. Like you're talking about the wrong animal. I'm, de- I'm trying to describe a lion. And you're telling me, well, you have to pick the one wing of these birds. No, we are, we are fundamentally disagreeing on the very premise of the concept. That's the problem here. And, and when, you know, great, great point when, when you say uh, people can't hold two ideas in their head at the same time. And I say that all the time. Like, well, the, the whataboutism thing kills me too. You know, you look at somebody and be like, oh, well, this guy just shot a guy. And then the other person goes, well, yeah, but you know, a guy that shot a guy before yep. like, okay, well, that may be true, but in this moment, we need to address the prescient problem, which is this guy is a murderer and we have to stop him from what he's doing. And, and we don't, and it. Yeah, ne- yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. They never go like one step deeper. Like they think like, aha, I got you. They just want to dunk on people in the internet. And you and you're like, no, that's, that's, not what we, that's not what we're talking about. Like, I get it. All politicians are corrupt. But I'm telling you, in this point, in this context, and in this time, these things that I'm talking about are important to stop, to call out, and to make sure they don't continue happening, or else we're going to repeat this process again. And people can't get past that because of their party alliances and their preconceived biases and a whole lot of other things. And it's frustrating, but you just have to rise above that and you just have to just and that's again I, i'll i'll bring it back like i get it i get these conversations but we continue we're going to move forward because we have a goal i'm not just here to be mad on the internet i'm not here to argue with dorks that have no followers and no posts and they just want to pop up and say mean things that's not the point we continue we're going to make sure that America this American experiment continues into the future and we got some problems and we got to talk about them
0: Exactly. And a lot of what you're talking about is people expecting the government to fix problems when they say, you know, what what about this? What about that? You know, like you got to we have to get to the point where we are fixing things on our own and not expect, you know, big daddy government to step in and say, here's what's going on, because it's exactly what they're trying to do. And they are infringing completely on a lot of what makes us Americans and the ideals that we've we've upheld for centuries, you know. So name I'm...
1: name one good thing that the government does. Name one name one thing that the government does better than private industry. I'll Tax. I'll wait. Is it the, is Tax. it the DMV? Yeah, yeah, sure. Is it the DMV? <laughs> is it, you know, like name is it the VA? Is it is it oh, veterans God. healthcare? Is it like name one thing that is run by the government that the government does better. And my my good friend Dan Holloway, he says this better than I ever could, so I'll just steal it from him. But you know how you start figuring out how to make your life better? You find out what the government does, you find out a way on your own little tribe to do to do that better, and then you box the government out. If you look, the worst state's performance right now, across the nation, and people use this metric all the time to be like, oh, look at the red states. If we, if we had a national divorce, the red states would die on the vine. You, the red states uh, do the worst, As far as like poverty, as far as education, whatever, guess who receives the most amount of government welfare across the board? All of those red states that they're mentioning. So they, they use that data to lie to you to say, oh, well, well, the red states, if, if you guys didn't have like, you know, our, the government helping you out, you guys would die on the vine. Well, no, I can find correlation doesn't often equal causation, but I can tell you what I can tell you one correlative fact. The places that the government gives the most help to are doing the worst right now. And that's a true thing. Like Missouri, Arkansas, uh, Louisiana, a lot of these, you know, south, you know, southeastern states and southern states, they receive the most federal aid and they're doing the worst. And that's for a reason. There's, there's a line to draw in there. And people mess that up all the time. So by,
0: it, by design. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like what Reagan said. I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. The most terrifying words. The, the,
1: the nine most terrifying words yeah. that anybody has ever said. Hi, I'm here from the government and I'm here yeah. to help. Exactly. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah.
0: you know. Meanwhile, the United States is having its own existential crisis, right? But there are a lot of other threats on the exterior. And when you got weakness within, it definitely brings uh, the wolves from without. You know what I mean? Um, so I know... That uh, there's a lot of things going on around the world that are threatening, A, American way of life, um, the hegemony in the United States has enjoyed for a long time, and the the biggest threat to that, in my opinion, uh, nationally, would be the, the Chinese. And I know that uh, Zach, Aaron, you guys have some of the same, similar opinions, man. So they're on this 2049 plan timeline right now, um, doing a lot of work with the Belt and Road Initiative, doing a lot of work with BRICS, seeing... Uh, just the other day, 19 other countries are looking to sign up, um, and a lot of these countries are pretty close to the United States geographically. And there are places like Mexico with things like lithium mines that we would really, you know, like to tap into and should be working on doing, but we're not. So, um, I don't know, man. What do you guys think?
2: You want to hit it off, Aaron, or you want me to jump in? Yeah. <laughs> It's a big bite.
1: I have a lot of strong feelings on this. I, I, I want to start by saying, like, everybody's worried about the dollar collapsing and everybody's worried about getting off the dollar. Like, hey, I I got it. 90 percent, 97 percent right now of the world reserves are still held in dollars. So when we start talking about changing over the yuan, like, yeah, like it's concerning that Saudi Arabia wants to get off the petrol dollar and they want to start trading in yuan, And it's concerning that breaks is happening, whatever. But when you actually like if you, there was a bar graph for how much I should care about this and it was equal to the bar graph of, what this actually means to the US dollar on the world stage they would both be about this right but that's not what to be that's not what we're concerned about here the the concern is that China has a 100-year plan that they've been a- enacting for the last 20 years ish since the great leap forward the concern is that China has been manufacturing and essentially producing their own influence on the world stage at America's behest Since really the end of the Cold War, because they've been doing this hide and watch game and we can we're going to talk about the Chinese economy and I won't steal my own thunder there. And we'll talk about, you know, how strong the Chinese economy actually is and and whatnot. But really what China has been doing is they've been playing this hide and watch game and they've just let like there's a, a political truism that says if your opponent is making mistakes, let them and stay out of their way. And that's what they've been doing. Right. As we expend extend ourselves in this war, like we just got out of a three theater war in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other places that we called the GWAP for twenty years. China wasn't engaged in that. China wasn't spending money on that. Like there were no I, I've deployed a couple times. Have have I ever seen a Chinese section of a military base where like, oh, the coalition is helping to fight terrorism? No, because no. they don't care. They don't care because that's not in their hundred year plan and they've stuck to it. Xi Jinping, they disarmed their population, number one. They had the Great Leap Forward, number two. They had their third or fourth industrial revolution where they started stealing intellectual property and they shored up their internal processes. And from there, really what they did is they they wanted to solidify themselves on the world stage and they haven't wavered from that. And there's, there's a little bit of credit that I can give to them to say, like, good on you because you stuck to that plan and it's really starting to show dividends. All of this stuff to say... China has started to move themselves into a position of power. And those things are starting to reap benefits and you're starting to see it even in the MSM. So there was always like these underpinnings or these rumblings of, you know, the Chinese I've been to deployed locations where I live less than 1.5 kilometers away from a large Chinese installation. Uh, I've, I've been places where, you know they're doing things and providing infrastructure and the one belt one road initiative and the mcf which is the military civilian um fusion essentially of china where they blend all of these things together it's not like here it's not like you have a military and a civilian population and those two things are completely disassociated a long time ago china started blending these two things together both for industry for funding for personnel or the larger overall CCP initiatives. And now we're starting to see those things come to fruition. So when we start talking about things like brokering peace between Saudi Arabia and Iran, when we start talking about their involvement in BRICS, when we start talking about their continuation of One Belt, One Road, and how many places that they have inroad, those are all really just little ticks in the marker of where they're going with that 100-year marathon thing the issue here is that we have shrunk so much on the world stage that we have been unable to stop that growth. The growth has been exponential because we haven't been there to exert American force and might in those regions. And without deterrent, like deterrence only works if you have consequence, whether it be diplomatic, informational, military, economic, any one of those dime fill principles, right? Unless you can exert a, a cost on your enemy for doing so, whether kinetic or non non kinetic, they don't care, and that's why we see spy balloons across America. That's why we see huge uh, military exercises in the Straits of Taiwan, because there is no deterrence, there is no what if, there is no consequence right now, and that's the worrisome thing about China right now. Like globally, like war, you know, we can talk about how to compete with them economically. We can talk about. You know how to how to get ahead of their you know IP stealing and IP theft and how it is that we compete with them technologically. Like we we can talk about all those things. Those those are easy. But the number one thing right now is that we have allowed China a long enough leash to start doing some things uh, and be emboldened by their progress. And you know, if objectively speaking, I look at it, they're doing a pretty good job.
0: And I agree with hundred percent of what you just said and the other the other way that i think that the chinese are doing a really good job because warfare in the future right and now the current the current times is is a lot different if you expected it to look the way it did you know even 30 years ago at the end of the cold war you'll be mistaken and with the way the internet has has completely changed the face of the world one of the ways that the chinese really really leverage their power is in that information war and they're very good about mm-hmm. projecting an image and i think that with how palpable that energy is that they put out there and how easily people's minds are swayed based on what they look and see in front of them that's another way and that's another front and when you need people to believe in your message and then you know you're pushing a message that's anti-american you know pretending like you know you're not having a genocide going on in your country all these other things you know, and and they lead in so many other ways, technologically, right? And we can have a conversation about that too. But the information war, the propaganda, all of that—it's not new, but it's different now, and it is extremely more um, insidious than it was and has been in the past because it's so much more readily available. It's so easy to manipulate things now. Um, you know, so that's a front too that. I think people tend to discount or not think of right away but it really makes a difference 100 yeah a difference. yeah you're both it's, you're it's both, unrestricted right? warfare exactly yeah unrestricted warfare what
2: the uh say? um the thing you said aaron you're talking about how like while your enemy's making mistakes don't like tell them about it just let them do it um that's exactly what china did like you were you you touched on a little bit with the global war on terror China didn't participate in it at all. They kind of just let us do our own thing. And while they were doing that, China was, in its own way, kind of being like the U.S. after World War II. After World War II, the U.S. was like, hey, we have, we're this huge powerhouse now. Because um, pre-World War II, we were pretty small, weren't really doing a lot of stuff. We were almost like our coming own out little hermit kingdom. Yeah, coming out of the Depression. So we started fostering a whole bunch of relationships, kind of being nice to everyone. That's where we kind of did the big push into the Middle East with like all like their kings and their rulers and stuff for like oil and all that stuff. Um, While we were dealing with global war on terror, that's when uh, China was like, all right, this is our time to grow without really anyone noticing. And one thing that I think uh, was a benefit of COVID is it kind of showed the whole world how far China actually was. I do believe that if COVID never happened and didn't shut down all these countries and supply chains, the the world wouldn't have realized how much influence and um, economic power China would have had around the world on infrastructure and everything. I think uh, if COVID didn't happen, China would still continue to be doing what it's doing, and it wouldn't really be that big of a conversation today. Um, so COVID. Released to the world, hey, China's kind of got their fingers and everything. You got to look at them and kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah,
1: I don't disagree. And you, again, the the big problem here, and you can look if people disagree with the, oh well, China, you know, whatever. Who who were the first people that negotiated with the Taliban once the Taliban took control of Afghanistan? Like the China before we,
0: we even left, area. I know we didn't even leave yeah. yet. to make us look they they
1: didn't put troops in there they don't care about stability china doesn't have any troops on the ground there they don't care about the genocide that's happening in iraq and afghanistan they they care about the natural resources which afghanistan has they care about the land bridge that they can uh leverage through there they were the first people to go over there and be like hey you know what's going on hey can we let's let's be friends here you know they've done the same thing in africa for decades now um you know they're they're their influence on the world stage has become more and more prevalent and at least more and more public. And I think you're right. I think when COVID happened, when people were, you know, like, why, why does this matter so much? Oh, it's because China is being affected by this. The first videos came out of, you know, people shaking and dying on the streets and the propaganda, you're totally right. You know, there's a couple of things that China did really, really well. And number one is they control their message. When you don't have a free and open internet when you don't have first amendment rights when you have an authoritarian state a communist state truly that can stop a message from getting out well you know what else they can do any messages gets out they can craft it and that goes from economically to politically to you know the civilians you don't have free internet in china you can't google there's no google you know i can't i think their google is called bida like you you're baidu there is no Google. They can the CCP controls the internet that you search. Like you get the search function that they want. When you can control that message, we don't, and that's a great thing, right? Like the First Amendment's awesome and you can Google whatever you want. You can if you if you do it right, you can you can search and find the right answers. However, that also plays against us. Is because the message that gets out, there's a million different viewpoints and a million different expositions where China doesn't have that and they're able to shape world and geopolitical opinion because their messaging is so clean now they do that through completely skullduggerous memes uh you know like the skullduggery that goes on in china is ridiculous the fact that the uyghurs right now it's the largest genocide that's ever happened in modern man you know after the holocaust and after Uh, Really, the great reset forward, uh, you know, the Uyghur Holocaust that's going on right now, like the Armenian genocide is really the only thing that even rivals the amount of human death and torture that's gone on in modern history. And it's still ongoing, you know, other than maybe the cobalt mines and the children uh, that are working in Africa right now in order to get lithium batteries or the electric cars that we're supposed to go to. Other than that, really, the Uyghur genocide going on in China is crazy, and no one hears about it. You know why? Because China keeps a lid on it.
2: Well, What's frustrating about it is the whole point of the UN was to destroy, like, to not allow genocide, to not allow the craziness of World War II to happen again. But who's Mm -hmm. a main seat on that? Who also technically won World War II? China. So whenever it does get brought up, they have full veto power, and then the rest of the world just goes, okay and then they look away they'll come back up in about a year and then they'll go veto and then okay and then they'll just keep doing that over and over again
1: well and you look too and you know we don't want to connect too many dots here because we're going to be on this podcast for five hours but like when you start talking about like who was who was the lead voice early in covid that was telling us what we were supposed to do the world health organization who runs the world the world who runs the who china so you're you're telling me It was essentially like we're like hey this thing came for sure out of by the way you would get canceled like congratulations gresh your podcast would get canceled and you would get kicked out of the military if i dared three years ago to say that covid came from a lab in wuhan china that's true but now we can openly say that because it's a true fact that's what happened now like who engineered it and was it released on purpose like those are some other things that we need to talk about who funded it and the nih and yada yada those are some other things that we're going to have to go deep on. However, that's a true fact now. It is. And the people that investigated the Wuhan lab and told us that was a complete and total inanity, they, they were just like, no, that's not a thing. The, the it's just coincidence. Co- the COVID came from a guy eating a bat in a wet market. Who was that? It was the it was the WHO.
0: Yep. Exactly. The, the is, fact- that not,
1: is that not – does that not raise anybody's the, eyebrows the and fact- now like – yeah
0: the fact that there is a lab in wuhan to study the novel coronavirus right and then wuhan we just do have to have a
1: yeah and and there is here here's the thing too is and people forget but there i alluded to it earlier there is no such thing as personal or entrepreneurial property in china the ccp exactly. owns every single thing in order to be a business in china you have to have a committee from the ccp that sits on your board also, that money cannot leave the, the Chinese uh, economy. So McDonald's can operate in China. but That money goes into a bank that's managed by the CCP. And then that money cannot leave the CCP to, say, go back into American interests or whatever. It can only be reinvested back into Chinese businesses. The WHO is an arm of the CCP. Therefore, ipso facto, everything is an arm of the CCP inside Mm -hmm. of China. So we had an entity that owned the WHO, right? So CCP owns WHO. The WHO was investigating the Wuhan Institute of Virology, Wuhan Institute of Virology was like, No, we didn't do it. And then the WHO was like, I don't think they did it. And China was like, we didn't have a part in it. And everybody just took that as fact. And then we locked down for two weeks to flatten the curve. And three weeks later, Oddly enough, it continued. Yep. And now, three years later, here we are.
0: You know, you, earlier you were talking about how like the the openness of our internet and all this stuff is is kind of a disadvantage to us in some ways, while it's also a positive thing. Um, the way that the the Chinese government uses that that civil and military fusion for. Um, you know, taking all the tech information and all that stuff, it's it's 100% an advantage that they have against what we have, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying that – nor advocating that the, the U.S. government should just, you know, steal a bunch of IP from all these private industries – but mm. it was 100% an advantage that they enjoy because of that. And it, they are able to leverage the greatness of the minds that there there are in China because there are, you know what I mean? And use it to their favor. And it's just, it's one of these things where it's like a double-edged sword for us to have an open and free society, which is the best way it should be, right? And then a country like China has this super authoritarian way of doing business and they have... You know, they're just basically stealing things from from their own citizens.
2: Well, it's not even something they do. It's not even something they do just to their own people. They do it to the countries that Mm they partner with as well. Like the whole, uh, I think it was in the early 2000s, the African Union wanted to like make their own like building where they could all come to and Mm -hmm. like talk together, kind of like the UN but just for Africa and what in a sense. And China was like. We'll build that for you, no problem. We'll put you on a hundred year loan and you as an entire continent can just pay it off over time and that'd be great. So they built this whole thing and it was a couple years later, this IT guy was like in the server room and he was like, wow, like every week on like midnight on a certain day, a lot of data gets transferred out of this very classified, very tight knit server room to some random place over in China. Why does that happen? So he started looking more into it, and then China was like, "Oh, whoops, we didn't mean to leave that open." And it's Oops. like, "Well, why'd you, why'd you put that Our there bad. in the first place?" And what was funny is China was like, uh, "We'll we'll go back there and fix it for you, no problem." And the African Union is like, now we got it. We'll, we'll fix it ourselves. And then they scrubbed the whole building. They found microphones everywhere. Like China right. was just using yeah. that to spy dude. on
0: Africa as a whole. It just makes me yeah. think of Mark Zuckerberg thinking it's a great idea to let a Chinese company run a cable under the Pacific Ocean and link it to San Francisco and just be like, yeah, this is fine.
2: This is totally OK. There'll be a back door in there somewhere. Oh, dude, several there of for a couple of years. Yeah, the, the whole thing. All, yeah, is,
0: Google's yeah. You know, artificial intelligence, you know, hub is there in San Francisco. Think of all the the tech in this area, yep. man, dude. It's it's wild. It's laughable. Yep. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But anyway, uh, so I totally agree with you, Aaron. Um, you're talking about how like bricks in the United States dollar, the petrol dollar. You know, is ninety percent of the the rest of business done around the world is done in the petrol dollar. Um, and I agree with you that these are kind of just steps in the direction of dethroning the United States. They're not necessarily that um, those tones on the clock you know you know that saying you know bringing forth the end of the United States or, or its control there's, there's still time to to take action to do things. Um, but I do think that the Chinese are kind of speeding up what they're doing to try and um, enact a lot of these these uh, ideas they have that by, um, the hundred year of the Communist revolution, success of the Communist revolution there in China. Um, Taiwan uh, and to me is is kind of a not necessarily just a point of conflict, but it's it's a symbol for a lot of things that the Chinese um, want to do. And I think that if if we went to blows over China, or excuse me over Taiwan, that even just the fact that, we're entering into that conflict with them and entering into this space now. that we're at where we're we're all these shows of force, it, it does a lot for the Chinese without them having to actually do anything other than you know just be loud. You know what I mean?
1: Oh sure. So first of all, China's emboldened. Um, 2022, mainland China's overall population fell to about 1.4, like 1.8 billion. Uh, and that was down 1.4. Billion a year earlier. So it it fell essentially by like about 850,000 people. This is going to start happening precipitously. China is right now emboldened by the fact that they're fighting. And by the way, they're a very old population, considering the fighting male age population in China is declining a lot. Like that was a lot of the things, right? Um, You know, the intelligence community for a long time was like, here's the problem is that China has the biggest standing military and they're going to be able to just essentially throw people at the meat grinder long than, longer than we have, right? Like our technolo- uh, technological advances are essentially the same. They're just going to be able to throw people at the meat grinder longer than we can. War of attrition, we can't stand up to that. Well, that's not the same. That's not That's not true now. They're starting to decline by almost a million people a year, and the fighting age male population is going down faster than that. I want to say that's declining at a, at a, at a rate that's almost 20% faster than the actual declination of straight population, right? So they're becoming emboldened on a world stage where they need to start taking control of some of these things because their economy and this is the dirty secret about the Chinese economy. China controls every bit of information that they have about their economy. So when they t- it's essentially like saying, you know, we have a bunch of different we have the F the Fed, SEC, we have watchdog groups. We have FOIA. We have you know individuals on, on Twitter and Facebook that can really like dig into U.S. financials and be like, wait, this is exactly what the economy is. It's falling. China controls all that. China has been telling everybody, this is how good our economy is for this is h- however long. And there's nobody to check them. They're like, well, you just have to trust us. This is how good our economy is. China's population is declining and there is a large economic collapse. that's going to happen in China very, very soon. And you can go on Google Earth if you would like and you can find entire cities that have been built that are completely vacant, that are valued at a population that is supposed to be inhabiting these things, right? Like if people were living in these uh, huge apartment complex, and I'm talking 20, 50, 100,000 vacant uh, domiciles, right, that they built. And they're like, well, if people were paying this amount of rent, this is how much of that would be coming in. And that's how they cook their books, essentially, and say, this is how much these things are worth. They're a paper tiger. It's a balloon. It's a bubble. Well, now, since their population is declining and they don't have the might to back that up, they don't have the military oomph behind it, if you will. Now, things are starting to get, and you, you see them starting to get more and more emboldened on the world stage. And you see it's, – it's actually a good sign, but it's also terrifying – It's the first time in the last five years that they've accelerated a single point on that 2045 plan and on the 100-year marathon thing, the first time that they've accelerated a single point happened within the last five years and they've done it three times so far. That is very, very telling for the Chinese Communist Party because it shows that they're panicked. The number one thing that you can always bet on the Chinese Communist Party for doing is doing the hide and wait, like, let's just see how this plays out. We're just going to sit to see them act on a global scale like they are now. And to see those other correlative factors sort of line up and you're like, wait a second, your economy isn't that good. You were crushed by COVID way more than we were. The Chinese economy was crushed way more. They've just lied about it, right? Remember the early days of COVID where they were like, oh yeah, we have zero cases of COVID. And you're like, oh word? You have people packed into Mm high-rises, and it seemed like from these satellite photos that you have hundreds of thousands of people dead. They're like, no, 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 we got like 40 cases of COVID. And you're like, that doesn't sound right. Well, they did the same thing with their economy, and now they're doing the same thing with their population decline. And it's really started to spook them on the world stage. So this would be a time if we had a competent administration that was ready to do a move, like... Now's the time you ratchet up the tariffs. Now is the time that you ratchet up the trade impacts. Now's the time you ratchet up some of these military exercises like that just happened. Um, I think it was you know, it was one of the PEXs. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to look. Brandon, you sent it to me earlier, but you know, now's the time to ratchet up some of these military exercises It'd be like, Hey China, respectfully fuck around and find out. We know you guys are on the brink and we're gonna start putting the pressure on, but people are unwilling to do so
0: exactly man you, you talk about deterrence and you, you said this on the last podcast too um, deterrence is is backed up by strength and when you have you know the, the speak softly but carry a big stick mentality right um, projecting American power holding these exercises you know speaking and and acting strong on the world stage these are all things that need to happen. And you highlighted a lot of a lot of things um, when you were talking, but a obviously just how great the the Chinese propaganda machine is to get all these people around the world thinking um, the way they do about the Chinese. But have you heard about the China uh, China's um, forests to farmland policy?
1: No, hit me with it. Let's go.
0: So the forest to farmland thing is where they're essentially just leveling all of this forest to to make into farmland eventually trying to basically recover from the, you know, or the fact that they are going to need food to feed this population. Um, And there's been a few people recently um, from China who have somehow made uh, videos and gotten it around the world about the deforestation that's going on there just to turn it into farmland, kind of signaling potentially a food shortage. Um, But Mm -hmm. to me, that's just another indicator, like you said, just how feeble their economy really is. And again, how well they project their strength when they're not strong in that way. You know what I mean? Um, you know, having a policy of needing to to turn all of, all these natural resources into just farmland, you know, says a lot to me. And and it's it's just another thing in that in that notch in that belt, so to speak.
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, and then. The other part of that is there's actually another part of that program where they're trying to also return uh, farmland to forest. So it's returning forest to farmland and farmland to forest. And it's the largest and most successful payment for ecosystem services program in the country. So at the same time, they're playing into the West like need for ecosystem development and green push meanwhile while also being the world's second largest polluter yep. of all, all greenhouse gases in the history of the world and they're only behind India and the only reason India is ahead of them is because the India's population is remarkably larger and increasing year by year as yep. opposed to China which is declining really now by 850 thousand per year yep um, it, it's just another thing that they're doing, man. Like again, the, the Chinese will tell you that, you know, th- they've done a good job in infiltrating sort of the, uh, especially the elite, uh, rung of where we are. You know, it's, it's very telling when, you know, Akron native himself, I'm an Akron guy and Akron native, you know, LeBron James will speak out about systemic racism as he sees it, but he won't speak out against the Uyghur genocide that's going on. Uh, with the company that makes his shoes, when the NBA won't speak out against China, you know why? You, who's the number one uh, contributor to NBA in the private sector? China. Yep. And and people try to parse it out, and they're like, "Well, Chinese businesses are." It's not China. You you have to understand something.
2: Uh, business Excuse me. Is something. China.
1: About China, there is no such thing as private business in China. It's owned by like the board of the every single every single businessman that makes an investment is getting either direction or advice, whichever way you want to play this, from the C C P. And if you're a business in China, you have someone on your board from the CCP that directs some portion of it. And then those funds are subject to Chinese. Actual redistribution. They can just take your money and say, hey, you're doing really well. We're going to give it to this place or we're going to give it to this place. And they package it up as free market and it's a lie. If you want to learn way more about this, go to the book Stealth War. It was published, I think, in 2019, 2020. It's as true today as it was written and it's more prophetic than it is uh, correct, which is a, a large statement because it's very correct. And it's even more prophetic.
2: Yeah. China's definitely doing the big smoke and mirrors. Um they like, like you were saying, Gresham, they uh this force to make farm and then Couple years later they go okay that farm needs to be forest again so they mm-hmm. turn it into forest but all it's there for is just to show the world look we look at all the stuff we're doing we're building all these farms and then you look a little bit later well, where the farms go oh well, we're doing forests now and then well where the forests go oh we're building farms now come invest in our country so we can stab you in the back later please it'd be great
1: um, meanwhile i want to say they have the biggest land ownership and the least amount of land usership on the face of the planet So China in itself is the biggest country that there is, but Mm -hmm. they pack everybody into the smallest proportional amount of, of where actually people live.
0: China as we know it is essentially the coast. You know what I mean? That part of, you know, all of Western China is extremely rural, but um, I'm curious, man, to, to know your thoughts, Aaron, on um, essentially the idea that the, the civil military fusion that goes on in China, why the United States has, and, and not just in the United States, Canada, Europe has all these companies that do business with the Chinese, um, knowing full well that the everything they do is going to be taken and given back to China. Um, but at the same time, the U.S. government does a hell of a job pushing away our own private sector through bureaucratic methods and just some of the other um, hurdles that they put up. Um what do you think the United States needs to do better as far as that goes to get and leverage a lot of the brilliant minds that we have here in the United States and people that want to come to the United States to kind of, uh, let's be honest, even the playing field when it comes to a lot of the technological advances and advantages that the Chinese enjoy over us right now?
1: Okay. So point one, the only reason that, um, you know, American businesses, like, because we are free market capitalism, They're duped into thinking that China has a free market capitalist society, and they don't. They are really unaware of how it is that China is going to go about brokering these deals. But the number three issue here, and it's the biggest one, is because of the profit margins. Because China is able to direct a lot of those funds towards these American businesses, they're like, dude, these profit margins are too good to turn down and they're like well you're going to have to keep your profits inside of here and they were like well that's fine but if i'm making 5 billion 5 billion is 5 billion i'm going to get paid and then i'm going to be able to like make more businesses inside of china they don't realize until they've got the hook that 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 those funds are never leaving china and china is going to control what they do with those profits unless it's inside of a very narrow range So number one, what we have to do is better education with American businesses when we're dealing abroad. We really, and it's a cliche thing, but it really has to be a more made in America nationalistic sense for how it is that we go about commerce on the international stage. It's awesome to do business internationally and expand your brand, but you have to ask yourself, I have this small brand that I think is going to be a niche market. And all of a sudden I have Chinese businessmen offering me 10 X of what I thought I was gonna get inside of America, that's for a reason, right? It's almost like the same thing when we talk about social media. If something is free, that means you're the product. You're the product. Instagram is free because you're the product. Facebook is free because you're the product. If you don't have to pay for it, you're the product, my guy. There is a reason behind the market strategy that they're using. If they're paying you 10 times what you're worth, there's either two things. One, you've underestimated your worth, or two, you're worth more to them. They're, you're worth 10 times more to them than you are to the American public. So number one, it's, it's education. Number two, we really have to light a fire under innovation and remove the bureaucracy and what it is that we do, especially in the military-industrial complex. It used to be we would bring in bright minds like Elon Musk would right now be working for NASA and for DARPA and and to to be saying like hey here are the things that we're going to do to increase our might on the world stage Reagan was great at this uh you know I had a bunch of problems with Reagan too like again I gotta say this just people hit me on it all the time like I'm not a Reagan guy but he did a great thing by bringing in innovation and he led that race by going okay you know what we're gonna do We're going to circle the wagons a little bit after the Cold War. We're going to let free markets find better innovative solutions to some things that we're doing, and then we're going to incorporate those into the military. We incorporated so much red tape and bureaucracy into these, like Raytheon and Harris. We have an entire suite of systems that can't talk to one another. The F 35 can't talk to an F 22 and neither one of those can talk to the ground forces they're supposed to support and all of them need hardware and software updates constantly to not talk to one another. And all of that comes with a price tag because we've monetized the upgrade process and not the actual function of the thing that we're supposed to buy. China has capitalized on that by stealing our intellectual property straight up. And you can look at it through the XP five program, the XP five. If you remember the Navy Navy had a drone that they were supposed to be able to launch from an aircraft carrier and they had a very specific design. China made a whole hype video about this program that we canceled three years earlier. They, they were like, oh, we're launching this thing before the Americans were like, yeah, we canceled it. But they just didn't have that information. It's apparent that they're stealing our IP. It's apparent that they're doing this for whatever. But that's because we have made a system that is so slow moving that we can't design, implement, and field pieces of equipment or pieces of technology ahead of everybody else. We haven't changed what we've done since World War II. When we went in to shock and awe, everybody was like, oh my God, you guys have smart missiles and whatever. We weren't that successful in Iraq. We were using the same tactics we were using in World War II with a more exquisite technological suite. But it didn't mean that we were better. It meant that Iraq was worse. It meant that we were able to just stage people wherever the F we wanted. We could just put a million people in Kuwait and then just decide to fly fighter jets wherever we wanted and then just bomb shit. And we would put videos on the, on the Congress of putting a bomb through a heating vent and everybody just cream their pants over it. And you're like, okay, but we've had that technology for 20 years. That's not exquisite. That's not new. Meanwhile, China's playing around with AI learning and machine learning robots and no kidding things that can make decisions faster than us on the battlefield and they got that from us but because we're so slow moving what we need to do is we really need to integrate some of these smarter spaces the fact that spacex is going to have a no kidding mission to the moon the first time that we've been back to the moon if you believe we went to the moon the fact that spacex is about to go back to the moon for the first time since the 60s and it's like where's NASA? What we fund NASA Stanley at like fifty paper. to seventy-five billion a year. What? Why don't we have? Why haven't we been back to the moon? Why haven't we put a man and a woman well, we back the on the moon? We lost the technology to do that. Suppose that's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. A ridiculous thing to say. And the fact that we, the leading military in the world, that's talking, we have a space force now. Oh, really, space force? Well, we what does your low out. orbit space employment look like? Yep. They don't have an answer for that. Don't. We don't have an answer for that. But I'll tell you who does. Elon Musk. If we believe all these things are true, Elon Musk has low orbit space because he could, he took a rocket off and landed that rocket for the first time back to the place that it launched. Yep. And so, and then Amazon is competing with SpaceX to do the same thing. That's ridiculous. They're reusable. You should have them work. Thank you. You should have them working with the same folks. That the military is working with, and we should be enhancing military capabilities in order to gain a technological advantage against our pacing challenge China and our acute threat Russia. Yep. You want to talk? Oh, well, I don't know how we're going to beat these hypersonic missiles. Well, if you had a space station that was actually floating even faster than the hypersonic missiles, you could easily target them with, say, a laser that you can mount from a ship that we already have. And then you could blow that hypersonic missile up. Dude, I'm so That glad. would be pretty simple, right? Yep.
0: Aside from the fact that the Kinzel is not an actual hypersonic missile in the modern sense, okay, I'm so glad you brought up Russia because it it begs to talk about Ukraine right now, okay? So you're talking about all of these these archaic ways the United States military projects power and moves around the world. It's a lot of the same ways we were doing it 70 years ago um the biggest way that we need to change the way we do warfare like you said is having um systems that talk to each other and having a ton of systems that talk to each other and not just different you know not a lot of different systems but a lot of the same platforms right and and to where you can have an attrition rate that's really really high and i think ukraine has done a really really good job of showing that with the way drones have been have been implemented into into warfare um but the other thing with that is are you familiar with um the term that Darpa coined called mosaic warfare?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: So the concept that all these aircraft, like you said, the F-35 being being able to talk to other aircraft or you have um, attack helicopters being able to pinpoint and coordinate for, let's say, like artillery to be able to fire upon positions where there are personnel or, you know, other artillery or whatever, um, this concept of total interconnectedness. We have systems, our phones, these computers right now. We're on Discord talking; they all talk to each other. No matter you could go to Paris right now, and you know you could you could still talk to me because you're, you know, of the the cloud based data, um, the the interconnectedness of these these devices we have. There's zero reason why the military should not be employing these technologies that already exist. And I think, bro.
1: You- do you know how Apple Maps works? Oh, it's crazy. You know when you're using like your Apple Maps, like when you have your phone mm-hmm. and you're driving and the road turns right ahead of you and you're like, oh, why is that? You know why? Because it pulls data from every single other phone and it has slowdowns yeah. and it hits triggers and then it turns that part of your yeah. thing red. Exactly. I've been across a room from somebody in a like an emergency situation and I couldn't get my radio to talk to his radio. That's ridiculous you're telling me that you're you're telling me that my map will turn red on my phone because and they're not like they're not like texting so it's not like it's not user driven it's the speedometer on the phone the gps on the phone slow down there was actually a guy that uh he he got like a hundred different iphones that were all connected and he would tow them around in a wagon to screw people's trips up he would just walk yeah. down in a wagon and it would it would screw everybody's Apple Maps up because he was going five miles an hour and it looked like a traffic jam That's and it would insane. screw with Apple Maps. That's the ultimate troll. But we can't target. You're telling me, but the, we can't target select and blue force tracking is always blue force tracking is always an issue for us. Yes, it is. On the ground in combat, it's always blue force tracking. Where are friendlies? Where are friendlies? Where are friendlies? Bro. Apple Maps knows where I am. Mm hmm. My wife, I share my location. She knows where I am Same. on my phone. She can just look at it and she can be like, "Oh yeah, tight." And it's twenty four seven. Yet you seem to sit here and tell me like, and if you look at like, it, it, it's a great juxtaposition as well. Um, Russia, we found is a paper tiger. Ru- Russia was like the, the intelligence community owes me a fucking apology about how strong Russia was. I'll let them know because these guys, they're fighting trench warfare. In Ukraine with modern weapons right now. The, Are you serious? We would, the the Ranger, imagine the Ranger Regiment going to Ukraine to fight Russia right now. They would clap cheeks. It would be a wet t-shirt <laughs> contest up in that bitch and everybody's getting a high skin fade. Dude. These motherfuckers, these hungry motherfuckers from two, from Moneybat over yeah. here. Those guys are running a fucking train on everybody that Russia has to offer. And it's they have no idea how to utilize artillery. They have no idea how to utilize, you know, um mechanized infantry at all. Their tactics techniques like they've resorted to World War 1. They they haven't progressed. They've regressed. Uh, yep. Other than some some drone warfare and other than some, you know, d- Five, you know, Generation 5 fighters here and there, this has been a, an amateur hour it is. of what's been going on over there. And people look at this and they're just like, oh, no, we have to worry about it. Like, the, do we?
0: I'm pretty sure the Blitzkrieg marched right over the Maginot Line in World War II, just proving how obsolete trench warfare is. You know, and go ask the French how trench warfare right really is. Yeah, exactly. And I I have had the same thought with all the video, the TikTok videos, the Instagram reels, whatever, of these dudes just sitting in these bunkers, and it's like, dude, dude and this,
1: it's it's, it's tragic. Like, again? It, like, yeah. Um, imagine you know, and these kids are eighteen. Like uh, the right. the loss of human life is not lost on me, and I don't mean to d- be dismissive of it, but, uh, dude, we're talking about You're, right, You're digging a. Bunker, and you're fighting for 15 feet full of ground in the middle of eastern Ukraine. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like Russia, they take like weeks to months to do ever do anything. Like today, they apparently launched 150 to 200 missiles into Ukraine, but they haven't done anything for the last two, three months. They just sat there staring at each other. And it like, is this just goes to show you're. They're a paper tiger. They they take too long to do anything or to make a decision because their NCO course sucks. They have no oh, dude, leadership that's... except for just one team at the top. And well, imagine too. Put that in
1: the put that timeline in the context of say the you know the first Gulf War. America was largely upset with the first Gulf War. Why? Because they thought it took too long. It was it was called the forty-eight hour war, the hundred-one hour war. Yep. Like we rolled over like tank. We rolled over exactly what Russia had. Russia is a gas station with nukes. Russia has the GDP of Florida and a couple nuclear weapons and everybody gets it. There's this hand wringing and it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do about Russia? I don't know. Bomb the fuck out of them. Send these hungry boys from the 82nd Airborne and let them go eat because there's a bunch of dudes that are pissed off that they barely missed GWAT. This shit would be handled. Like, I don't I don't know what to tell you as far as like military tactics, techniques and procedures are concerned. It's really not that hard of a problem. It's a pretty well defined area. But it just goes to show if we if we back it back out to what we were originally talking about. The threat that China and Russia present on the world stage aren't the tactical problems. No. The threat that China and Russia present on the tactical stage are how does it actually damage our ability to cause consequence and therefore have deterrence? And because we've acted so weakly in these environments, funding to $110 billion and some advisors on the ground only to have this protracted war play out over a year and a half now, that doesn't do anything for our deterrence. Having China be emboldened by us not acting on a world stage in a way that's strong, that detracts from our deterrence, and that's going to cause us costs in the future. That's the issue. And people people miss this all the time. They're like, well, you know, we're degrading Russia day by day, and we would spend more than $110 billion by going to war with Russia. Well, okay, yeah, but have two thoughts in your head at the same time, right? And that's where we started. Okay, yeah, you're right we are degrading russia and they are at about 45% of their military might right now thanks to what ukraine has done with our help but if we did nothing but had deterrence i'm sorry can you tell me what russia did on trump's watch nothing, nothing. oh yeah it was it was nothing it was nothing because he would go to dinner with a world leader and then he would kill a guy and he would go eat chocolate cake and he'd say, hey, if you do that to me, I'm going to fucking kill you too. That's what deterrence looks like. And again, I'm not a Trump guy, but that's what deterrence is. It's consequence with actual motive and ability to do so. It's if you fuck with me, I'm going to kill you and I can do it and I can prove it. And then people are like, all right, cool and then you're able to exact other consequences that are less kinetic for example when you have very high tariffs on china trump got bashed when he wanted to put tariffs on china guess what those things they yeah it was it was xenophobic and it was racist and guess what It it worked it worked it worked hand over fist it worked and if we did that consistently we would be in a much better geopolitical position because we would have leverage. But at this point we don't. And China is now emboldened because again, they're losing their population and they're ready to, to step up on the world stage. And here we are.
0: Now touch yeah. back on Russia just a little bit, just to get your opinion, Aaron and Zach, uh, what would you say to the people that, that, that say that the Russians are almost turning the tide now, uh, there in Ukraine because they're taking over, um, you know, power plants and, and natural resource locations. You know, do you think there's any sort of credence to that, or do you think that that's the, again? You know, the the talk.
1: Zach, I'll let you go first, I, bud.
2: I think it's just talk. To be honest, I think it's just we've we've already been shown that Russia is just a paper tiger, like Aaron said. Um, they can win small battles here and there. They can take over a factory, but will they hold it? No. Will it mean anything? Thank you,
1: Thank you. It, exactly. Zach. Exactly. Okay. I hate to interrupt you, but I'd love to hear myself talk. But that's exactly what I was going to say. Is you can take over whatever you want. You only yeah. own it as long as you hold it. And they've shown that they can't hold anything. They don't have forces to put forward. They're not going to occupy. This is not going to be an occupation. And God forbid, nope. like I got to be honest, Russia. Hey, any anybody from Russia, if you're listening to this podcast, let oh, me tell you. Coin, nobody's won a coin war in the history of the world. If you think that you're going to occupy Ukraine in, a, in an insurgency, I have some bad news for you, and it's only because I spent 20 years in GWAT.
0: If for anybody listening that doesn't know what the term coin means, it means counterinsurgency, we're not going to give you a history lesson. You can go look it up.
2: Yeah. They're especially not going to win against you. Like They're not going to win the minds or the hearts of the Ukrainians who no. at their core... And at their like the very center of their entire existence, all Ukrainians believe they are Russia, like they are the original Russia. The Russian Federation can't take that from them. That's where they came from is Ukraine. And Ukraine will fight them tooth and nail.
0: Point right at the kulaks who were massacred and left to starve under Stalin. You know what I mean? They remember. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. So I. Yeah. Yeah, and I I can't I. I can't agree with you more, Zach. Like you just absolutely crushed it. But yeah, Russia is not going to ro- roll in there. And okay, great. So for a second that you you hold Chernobyl for a little while, you hold these power plants for a while, you hold these things. You don't have the logistical backing, and your country can't actually logistically or financially support you in these endeavors. You simply don't have it. So you're either going to extend yourself to a point, and Putin's not stupid. He's, you know, he is who he is on the world stage. Um, and he's also dying, which is a fun thing, but nobody wants to report on that. But that scary. no, he's dead. He's, he's dying. They're looking for his replacement right now. And they're keeping a, a hold on that as they possibly, you know, as, as much as they possibly can. But, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to hold these positions. They're not going to be able to hold Ukraine. They're not going to absorb Ukraine. The world isn't going to stand for it. And at this point, they're so weak and they've lost so many people. It really wouldn't be that hard To absolutely cripple them, if say the world had the tolerance for it, if you get somebody that's more hawkish on warfare in in the next election, I don't know who that's going to be. You get them a little bit more hawkish, and they're able to sway the UN into just a little uh, a little bit of uh, repercussions for Russia. Dude, they fold like a house of cards, and it's over because they can't. Zach, you hit it perfectly. You only own what you can hold and occupy. That's the only reason that GWAT went for 20 years is because we could hold it. And to our great cost, we could also occupy it because we, we have the greatest fighting force that humanity has ever seen. And that's the only reason why we succeeded for longer than the Russians did in Afghanistan. But this isn't 1970s Russia. This is 2000s Russia. And now they're degraded by a cost of more than 50%. You're not going to hold, you, there's not going to be Russian bases in Ukraine. No. That's not a thing. You're going to get murdered. And I'll tell you what, the Russian, uh, you know, the groundswell to support this operation. Russian men and women are not going to want to go and die for this thing. They're not going to want to go to Ukraine and die. It's not a popular war.
0: No, the Russian media has they done already a really good don't. job of suppressing the the resistance there is in Russia to this war.
2: Yeah, they already can't. You know, they've initiated their draft and like, hey, you have to show up. And they'll know like there's a able male at a certain residence who didn't show up. And they'll have to go there and grab him. And instead of – now you're wasting your – more troops and resources just punishing this one individual than you would have got just ignoring it and fighting the actual fight you're trying to fight and Gresham, you said way earlier in the beginning of this that you know um you know world war ii was fought the way it was and everyone thought it was going to be like world war one but it wasn't and then you have uh the global war on terror and stuff and it was fought entirely different than it was from like world war Two. Russia's stuck in this idea of trying to fight this war as if it is kind of like World War One, World War Two. Mm-hmm. When in reality, World War Three is not going to be fought how we saw World War Two at all. It, me personally, I think that like future wars and um, uh, like World War Three or stuff like that, or how Russia should fight Ukraine if they actually want to win, is you don't put boots in the place you're trying to take over. You destroy their entire infrastructure. You just destroy their entire economy and then you just kind of almost like a siege you just sit on the outside and you keep them all in there and make them fight themselves that's going to be world war 3 fighting if we ever so do it so,
1: so let, let's say <laughs> let's let's have a let's have a let's have an experiment right so siege like a siege like let's go back to like you know antiquity 13th 14th century you're telling me it's, first of all, like the easiest way to do it is for a sickness, right? You you like throw some bodies over the the wall, and you get to play again, right? So you you degrade their health. So and you, then something you, about
2: like what you know ancient or uh, not ancient uh, early Americans did, to, like Native Americans, coughing a couple blades Exactly,
1: biological warfare. So maybe blankets. there's a virus. Maybe yeah. there's a yeah. virus. Yeah, yeah, there's a virus that you have that you release that eventually gets in there, and then. You affect them economically by stealing their intellectual property. You make sure that they can't actually trade on the world stage. You start mm-hmm. taking their position, and and you, and you structure, to, I don't know, meat pack oil production, and then you start affecting their way to trade in oil on the world stage. And then you let all that cook, and then you and you establish a group of people that are, let's say, sensitive to your cause, and that will never speak out against you. And now you have like a ruling class that's also in there, um, and then you degrade their sovereignty by degrading their borders, and you send a shit ton, like say twenty thousand. Fighting age males to their border, and you have an influx of people that can just infiltrate them from the inside out.
0: Aaron, are you talking about but Chinese that, asymmetric warfare?
1: That sounds really familiar, it and it also sounds like what's been going on for the last ten years yeah. in this country with the fentanyl epidemic and COVID, and our border and people. Like that's a weird thing. It almost feels like guerrilla warfare. How I would destabilize a country.
2: Interesting. What a wonderful model. Would that be a pretty good argument to say that we're probably already at war with China? We just haven't officially announced it. The Chinese
0: are at war with us. Just not in the ways the United States recognizes war. It's not in the ways the United States
2: recognizes war. It's not an official declaration, but we're at war. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And it feels like it and if you go back to unrestricted warfare and if you go back to the stealth war and the hundred year plan like we've been laying out these breadcrumbs this entire podcast the entire time that we've been talking we've been laying out the breadcrumbs and the road plan for how we have been, uh how we have been attacked on our homeland and we just haven't said so explicitly and this is my favorite part about being called a conspiracy theorist and i've been called that a bunch of times is that I can lay this out. I can be like, well, here's how China has their economy. Here's how we uh, interact on the world stage. Here's how we've been distracted and weakened in this area. Here like I can lay all these breadcrumbs out and then at the end I go, and that's how we're we're already in unrestricted warfare, world for war, world war 3 and people go, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's not yeah, – how, how do you make that conclusion? Be like, no, I just laid it all out for you. Be like, well, yeah, but you can't, it's these you people, can't say it all over the end.
0: No, they're afraid to step outside of their have, narrative.
2: Yeah, they can't have two thoughts in their head like we discussed earlier. And in their mind, World War III has to be fought like they saw on the History Channel when they see World War II. So, it does, it, they can't comprehend a different type of warfare. And to quote Abraham Lincoln again, we did it earlier. Uh, America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. And China is planting the seeds across the Mexican border through intellectual property, through just everything like that to- Buying uh, farmland
1: and- outside of every state. We just had, a he- like yep. Texas yep. just enacted their first bill to say that you're no longer allowed, Chinese citizens are no, lo- no longer allowed to buy farmland in China or in Texas. Uh, Because you have to be an American citizen to do so. It's plainly apparent people are missing the forest for the trees when they look at this and they say this is not a deliberate motive that China is using to infiltrate America and to to commit unrestricted warfare on the American country. And now here we are, and we have just laid it out for them in a single podcast.
2: So Aaron... (laughs) Oh. <laughs> I want to take. A, I want. I want to take a pivot here, right? Uh, it's still about China and stuff. Um, China is obviously going to be in relation to Ukraine too. So China's obviously trying to now be a mediator, right? They're trying to be like, "Hey, look at us. We'll we will broker peace in this region and we'll solve everyone's problems." That type of stuff. Um, obviously, that makes America look very weak. It makes the West look very weak. Um, It's something that I strongly believe cannot happen. Like that is a full fail situation on the global scale. Agree. Um, What do you think uh, the U.S.'s response to this should be? Um, So far, we've obviously been supporting Ukraine, putting a ton of money into that region and stuff. Um, And after you answer this question, I kind of want to give, I guess, my thoughts on why we give all that money there. Kind of like. Uh, pick your brain uh with that as well so the first question is just what do you think the u.s should do uh with china trying to broker peace and i guess take the uh the global police power from the u.s
1: and 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 that's a tough one because there's a lot of nuance here so you know very very first thing that i would say is like no more money to ukraine there's no more funding there's no more like i'm sorry like this is uh this is not a thing that we can affect anymore and that's not an answer for what do we do to combat China? It's an answer for what do we do to fix this problem? And then combating China is a secondary or a third kind of order effect, you know, secondary tertiary effect of what we're doing there. So number one is we stop funding the proxy war in China, like or in Ukraine and, and Russia, number one, we have to. Number two is we start shoring up. We start chipping away at bricks. We start, okay, well, hey, you know, Brazil, Russia, you know, we're not going to be able to do anything with Russia right now, but like India. India, South America, there's there's a lot of spots there that we can start exerting our influence and be like, hey, we're good partners with you. Saudi Arabia, there's a lot of places that we have good inroads and we start strengthening those relationships. Our relationship with Saudi Arabia, the fact that that's failed as much as it has over the last three years. Holy shit, the the degradation of that relationship over the last like three years is amazing. You know what I mean? Like we were we had a strong alliance and partnership with Saudi Arabia before all this happened and to see that fade away as fast as it well, has. I mean, Biden said he was going to turn
0: them into a pariah. I yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the issue here is, and I think that it's it's a non-answer but I'll accept it because as I'm thinking about it in my head, I'm going to accept it as an answer is that you don't need to do anything to combat China. You strengthen your ties with your other alliances and you box China out. You find a way to make sure that you shore up these relationships with Canada, with Mexico. We strengthen our borders We have a little bit more of a nationalistic view as it comes to trades and tariffs and trade policy and trade regulation. We circle the wagons a little bit and then we shore up our partners in Israel and we shore up our partners in Saudi Arabia and we shore up our partners across Europe. And then we have a united front because that's how we can take down China essentially without doing it. You don't need to go directly at China. We don't need to go into a shooting war. If we can just choke them out and starve them out and wait them out, I think like that's important. Exactly. I think if we start thinking a little bit more about a hundred year plan, we think in four year cycles. That's ridiculous. Barely. They're thinking in hundred year cycles. We can't think in a hundred year cycles. Maybe we think in fifty. But we think, hey, let's let's have some consequential steps that we can take we can start really weakening them on the world stage. And you don't have to go directly at them. If we're going to do unrestricted warfare, awesome. Then let's do it with our partners. Let's strengthen trade alliances. Let's make ourselves stronger on the world stage. And then when people are like, because really what you want is when China steps in and they're like, hey, we want to negotiate this this trade piece. What we want is somebody else to come in and go, no, 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 we want America to come in here because we know that they're going to be able to lead us in a way that we want. So that's my non-answer to you, Zach. I'm excited to hear yours.
2: Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, my question was more to get your answer and just kind of like listen to it because uh, it's kind of leading into, um, you posted a couple, you, you brought it up several times in this podcast and you posted a couple weeks ago in your social media that like the money to Ukraine should stop and that uh, it shouldn't be sent there anyways. Um, I want to put a second idea in your head. All right. I want to make Aaron do the two idea thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's three main reasons why I think the US uh is fully in, invested in this Ukraine venture, right? Uh the first one is having to do with uh testing equipment. So for the last 20 or so years, right, the US has fought um insurgents, people who don't have jets who don't have like our technologies, that type of stuff. Um, but we've still been advancing a lot of our technologies, like the F 22s first aerial kill was a balloon off the coast of Florida. Right. And it's sure. been around yep. the early nineties. Um, so I think that, uh, the, the first thing here, so the U S in Ukraine is all just like, I don't think the U S as a government really cares what happens to Ukraine here. They're using it as a test bed for personal gain. Um, so they want to test new equipment against a relatively close peer uh, or someone that we thought was an actual peer, but they're further off than, than, than they actually are. Um, but that's the first thing. We want to test equipment against an actual adversary. Uh, two is to um, prove that the U.S. in a time of a global conflict, either in Europe or somewhere else in the world, can adequately supply um and move equipment especially in a region that may not have american troops so is there american troops in ukraine probably probably some secret groups in there doing some weird stuff um but there's not a large force and in this way it's a way for the uh the u.s to prove to themselves and to show hey we can put a bunch of equipment and supplies on the front lines relatively quickly um in weird environments that we might not be able to do normally that makes sense and the and third reason um, I think has to do with um, uh, economy and the recession that is looming. Um, so there's five main points that put uh, that is supposed to put the US or an economy into a recession. First one is a decline in real GDP. Um, next one's a decline in real income or income after inflation. Next is rise in unemployment. Uh, stagnation of industrial production, and then decline of consumer spending. So basically less money being spent, less money being made, and then two quarters of negative GDP. Before the Ukraine uh, conflict kicked off, the U.S. had one quarter of negative GDP. Then the Ukraine war kicked off. And then all of a sudden, we just barely, that next quarter, barely made it past non-negative GDP. And we've been barely over non-negative GDP this whole time. And my idea behind this is, yes, we send a lot of money to Ukraine, but it also kind of built back up our military industrial complex. So right now the government, as if their GDP is building, it's getting higher, it's getting, like it just barely stays up. And the whole purpose of this, and they'll keep funneling money into Ukraine, is to keep that industrial complex going. And the U.S. doesn't want peace brokered because they want this conflict to go as long as it can to keep money moving um, because if we have the two quarters, we already meet four of the five, we have the two quarters of negative GDP, then the U.S. has to say they're in a recession. And if the government actually says we're in a recession, then it's going to suck because then people will spend less and all Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other stuff. And it
0: wouldn't be the first Um, time we used war to pull ourselves out of recession.
2: Yeah, it's a great way. It pulled the whole, it pulled the U.S. out of a Great Depression. Yeah. an entire yeah. war.
1: Yeah. So is that
2: that's my lot thought. Of that's no. why I think the US is so invested in it. it has nothing to do with Ukraine, has nothing to do with preserving them or Agreed. their freedom because they're they're um they're corrupt anyways. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on with that as well. It's just for our self-interest to keep us relatively strong and to try to uh uh keep our economy going in a time after COVID and to just try to stick up to our enemies.
1: Got you. So I'll I'll respond in kind, right? So number one, in the test and evaluation phase, we have the best test and evaluation in the history of the world. We don't need to test against a peer adversary. We know, like, we talk about China stealing IP all the time. We steal more IP than China does. Like we 100% do. We know their capabilities. We know their vulnerabilities. We know that we are about a 10% extra. Like we say, well, they're going to be able to kill us to this level really they're going to be able to kill us to here and we can perform to here we don't need to test that in a real world thing number two the logistical chain argument dude i get it and i hear you we do this legitimately all the time we move large like these exercises that we do and these large-scale movements that we do we exercise this all the time we have unfettered access to everywhere in the world at a moment's notice all of the time no matter what so if it was a thing where we were denied access to an area and they were, they were like, oh, yeah, well, you can't possibly move all the equipment and people that you need to into, say, the Philippines. I would say that there are special forces groups that move in the Indo-Pacific and then like just set up shop in random countries that we have like tacit approvals with any time of the year, three times a year. There's a bunch of series right now that I could say that we do that all the time. So for that one, OK, got it. I I agree from the logistical move anywhere and set up shop anywhere, like multi-capable airmen and agile combat employment and our operational imperatives. No, I I think I agree with you there. Like it's a, it's a good dry run for this. The thing that I want you to focus on is that people's lives are hanging in the balance. We can be as cynical as we want. People are dying in Ukraine and Russia all the time. So while we're playing this drill where people are actually dying due to fifth gen warfare, that's an issue. And that's, that's a moral and an ethical thing that it's a nuance that we need to roll into this thing. As we move through your points, we get to the kind of the the last like two or three, which are sort of wrapped up in what is the actual benefit of letting these two fight it out and letting these, uh, letting these folks see um, essentially what happens in this modern warfare sort of scenario. And that's, that's really what everything is wrapped up in, right? Is what cost can we impose on the enemy in order to, for us to see like, can we no shit impose costs moving forward? Right? I don't disagree with any of your points and I think they're all valid. And I think they're all good thought experiments for why should we be involved here? When we start talking about the economy, it's a zero sum game. The, the, danger that you have of venturing into the economical gain as i look at 110 billion that we've already approved of 30 of which we can't account for so when you talk about how much could 30 billion affect or improve the american economy and like okay it kept us above the line right for what it is we call we have shown through covid That the government will fudge the numbers and say well yeah i mean it's supposed to be two quarters right but like yeah technically we were down for these two quarters we're already in stagflation the impending economic collapse is already a narrative that we're already talking about right like stagflation is too much money chasing too few goods with too few unemployment numbers that are following this empirical evidence can be observed by when was the last time you went to a restaurant and you got great service
0: dude that literally happened to me today
1: you got great service today no no i'm
0: saying i was at fucking home depot waiting for 40 minutes for
1: somebody to help me
2: there was literally no one around you know why mcdonald's can't even get my chicken nuggets right
1: you know why and mcdonald's is laying off hundreds of thousands of people so is meta so is facebook so are these people that are supposed to be untouchable we're already in stagflation. Mm -hmm. The numbers or the definitions of these things where you're like, okay, and this is maybe a correlation versus causation sort of thing. We can show you the numbers to where we're like, okay, unemployment is at this level, and we haven't had two consecutive quarters of decline in GDP, and that's technically not whatever. I would ask you to look at your normal life. When you go to a restaurant, I don't remember the last time that I got quick efficient service i don't remember that i got seated the last time i don't remember that like stores were open at normal business hours that hasn't happened since the beginning of covid yeah and during covid they told us the economy was booming as well because of online and delivery services and all these other things well lo and behold you're telling me unemployment is low but nobody wants to work everywhere is hiring but no one's hiring try to go get a job right now it's like i gotta be honest with you like When you start venturing into the economic argument for this war, and I get it because the military-industrial complex, sure. However, usually what that means is that people are going to war. When you fold the recruitment and retention problem into this thing, we're missing numbers everywhere, bro. You're literally speaking to a recruiter right now. Yeah. (laughs) The DOD ain't making numbers, bro. Like, If if you're making your numbers, congratulations, because you're the only one nationwide.
2: Yeah, and so I'll tell you what goal, but
1: sentiment, sentiment for, is
2: not.
1: <laughs> yeah, sentiment for those numbers is exceptionally low. And when you look at the polling numbers, pride in America and willingness to serve in the military, and all of these other things, all of those numbers are trending downward. So when we talk about in like economical impact for this thing and it being a like a potential boon for America. You're talking about mere percentage points of treading water and not exponential growth for what you actually need. Every other number that we have is pointing downwards from unemployment to GDI to GDP to UDP to UDI to actual price indexes. All of these things have been trending lower to include housing. There is a housing bubble that is an impending to burst. And we, we hope it's not as bad as 2008, but we feel that it's coming And people are girding their loins for it. And the market 100% reflects that. So if we tie all these things together, and again, sometimes they feel like unrelated. And it feels like I'm connecting. Like I'm Charlie Day, like connecting red yarn. on Who is Pepe Silvia? Who is Pepe (laughs) Silvia? Exactly. But when you look at it, man, I would say if we can save our international effort, if we can circle the wagons, if we can stop spending $110 billion a year, if we can focus on our border and actually focus on- Balance a checkbook. Yeah. Balance a checkbook, actually stop spending as we need to, stop cutting necessary funding at things that we actually need. I think that that would be a a bet. And again, I I love that you you called me out. I, I welcome the back and forth. You need to have two things in your head at the same time. What if I told you that I want to be nationalist. I want to have people in America that focus on America first and do America first things. And I do care about the other world, the, the rest of the world. However, they're going to have to handle their own problems as well. Yeah. And in order for us to be a is- world leader, we're going to have to circle the just like after world war II. And that was a great example. People forget World War II, we didn't expand our imperialism. We didn't go look for other places. We did the opposite. We kept the bare minimum of bases that we needed to to make sure that fascism didn't expand and didn't pop up. But we brought everything back here. We didn't even want to get into the Korean War. The Korean War was one of the biggest detractors from the American economy that's ever happened, and people forget that. Because if they would have just gone on the track that they had after World War II... We would have been unstoppable moving forward. And people often mistake that. But it's about the because Congress ideas. Because we engaged again in another couple theaters of war, specifically the Korean War and then the Vietnam War, that crippled us as a company or as a country moving forward. And we should have never engaged in those things. I
2: just wanted to say, Aaron, uh, you answered that exactly I thought you would. And it was a very intelligent and compassionate response, exactly what I was looking for. I wanted to get the two ideas in yeah. everyone's head that's listening to this podcast or watching so they could kind of get both sides. So thank you for letting us flip the coin and watch it twirl in
1: the air. <laughs> no, dude, no, you crushed it. No, you and you brought up good, those are things that should, people should be experiencing and should. people should be really thinking through because I'll tell you, like, I there's a part it's of me- your decision
2: that... after actually looking at all sides.
1: No. And there's, there's a part of me that agrees. Like there are a couple of people out there that are like, Hey, you know, $110 billion really isn't that much to find out that Russia was a paper tiger. Like we put $110 billion in and we figured out exactly who one of our adversaries were that we thought, remember in uh, I mean, this was years ago. Remember when Russia put out that propaganda ad of people in shaved heads, they were doing push-ups in the morning mm-hmm. and all the military pro vets were like, these guys are going to crush us. They are just going to whatever. And then like two years fast forward, you're like, these guys that can't even have a tank squad do a simple military tactic, these guys, maybe 110 wasn't that much of a price to pay to figure out that these guys were a paper tiger. I'm willing to admit that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that moving forward, we have to use that information and actually make the way forward to, to the next thing. It can't just be a thing that's like, oh, okay, yeah, great. Like we have to like look at that and go, okay, cool. We were wrong about that. And now we're going to change the way that we think moving forward. But I don't necessarily disagree with, hey, we weakened Russia. We only paid $110, $110 billion to weaken Russia to 35% of their previous strength. I don't know. That's a pretty good uh, ch- And not a single American life is lost other than the people that went over there and fought for it for whatever reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, not too bad. So I, I can understand a, that. I'm kind of not
2: even a near peer anymore. Yeah. Oh, no. They're not. No, and, and
1: we even change our language they yeah. are a they're a they're a what is it the uh acute threat they're not the pacing challenge anymore china's the pacing challenge that's who it's we need only, to be
2: and the only reason why they're an acute threat is because they just have the ability to launch nukes
1: they're a they're Maybe. a gas station with nukes <laughs> that, and a GP less than florida yep.
2: they might be able to launch nukes we don't know that yet <laughs> that could be another big right. tiger <laughs> right
0: but honestly, I think the the concept of, of nuclear warfare and using that as uh, as leverage is is becoming antiquated. Yeah,
1: we'll see. We'll see how we explode. Like tactical nukes is a very dangerous thing. Dirty bombs are a very Explore dangerous you. thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, should, is- I should I uh, should
0: be more specific. The ICBM, that whole uh, concept of mad mutually assured destruction. I think that's becoming antiquated. The tac nuke thing that you're talking about. I think that that has a lot more application in modern warfare than than. In the icbm concept yeah. for sure they're definitely
2: right. i could definitely see small yield nukes being used mm-hmm. like against carrier strike groups almost yep. yep you just blow up a nuke already notes yep guess yep. guess what you just did you just clogged up that area no one can go in there mm-hmm. it's now technically your land because it's, like the yep. friendly's not going to go in there yeah and you could wipe out an entire whatever in a blink of an eye
0: yeah that's why a lot of these long-range missiles that the Chinese are developing are so dangerous because they have the capability to carry nuclear weapons and they're practicing taking out carrier strike groups with these TAC nukes. And, you know, yes. getting rid of and eliminating that, that asset that we have that we outnumber the Chinese on is enormous should we go to blows in the Pacific. You know, it kind of leads into the next question. You know, um, do you feel like this whole conflict with Taiwan, the United States, and China is imminent?
1: feel like it's always imminent uh to be honest with you like um you know do do i feel like it's going to happen right away or, or or whatever i think the way that china approaches taiwan is always a consistent pressure it's always a consistent threat especially with the threat of semiconductors as it stands now i think it becomes less imminent as america stands up semiconductors in texas like we're trying to do However, that's again on a short timeline. I, I, it depends on the earlier question of how emboldened is China going to be and how shortened is the timeline that they're going to make. So do I think that it's imminent where a real shooting war happens with an invasion of China into Taiwan? I really do think it matters a whole lot on who gets elected in America next I, I think I that I, I think that timeline is going to change. Uh, remarkably, when we start talking about who it is wins the next America election. I, I think if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, as it stands right now, I think if they get elected, I think that timeline becomes remarkably shorter. I think if anybody else gets elected, I don't care who, again, I don't give a shit about R and D, but I think if anybody else gets elected China has to take a tactical pause to see how is this new administration going to react to us? How are they going to be? What are they going to do I don't think they want to do it before the election, to be quite honest with you, because they don't want to provoke. Like All that means is you have a 180 out response from the new administration, right? If China decides to invade Taiwan and then a new administration gets in there, all they have to do is campaign on, we're going to fuck China up for invading Taiwan. And that and that secures them enough American interest to get elected. And that flips the administration from one that is remarkably pro-China to one that they don't know. And I think China is too smart for that. So I think that they definitely wait. I don't think they do anything now because it's too close to the election. We're 18 months out. I think that that actually emboldens Somebody that's more nationalistic, somebody that's more hawkish on international politics, way more willing to engage with China in Taiwan over Taiwan. And I think that China is too smart for that. So I think what they do is they wait and see what's happening. They go ahead and saber rattle for a little bit more time. They have more international exercises and they have more international alliances. Hoping that America elects the wrong person. And in my opinion, that's going to be the Biden Kamala Harris administration. But if they don't, if they lose, that's interesting because then China has to hold its cards to its chest. Because you're not the first thing that you're going to do is not invade another country in the brand new, you know, administration of the United States of America because you're going to get some cowboy out there. You know, imagine Ron DeSantis. Imagine. Nikki Haley. Imagine mm-hmm. even Vikram Like ima- any of these people, like any any of these folks that are on the ticket right now, they can't wait to push the go button and have a win against China as the first thing they do in the administration. That would be devastating not only to China but to China's stance on the world stage. So I think that's a huge geopolitical like mistake for them. So I, I think they can't possibly risk it. So it either happens. It, it, to be honest, it should have happened a year ago or it doesn't happen until Biden wins the 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 nod and the re-election and it's early in his administration. I wouldn't expect – like if he wins the administration in November of 24, if he wins that thing, that's China's trigger. They're going to be like, nope, we know who this is even if he steps aside and Kamala steps in or – Blah, blah, blah. Whatever other conspiracy theory thing we're going to have for whoever actually runs the administration. That's the move for China is you wait until the same friendly administration gets reelected and then you pull the trigger as opposed to provoking a new administration that would just cannot wait to blow your shit out of the water in the Indo-Pacific.
0: I agree yeah. with you. I think that China has passed their timeline for when this could have happened for this current presidency to talk about four-year cycles. The United States has those, yep. right? Um, but do you think- The good thing
1: about four-year cycles is every every four years, you get somebody in that really does want to wield American might. And it might be it might be 180 out from what you have now. Like China has the ability for their 100 year like Xi Jinping already consolidated power through the next 100 years. Absolutely. He really, until he dies, Xi is the man. Mm-hmm we don't have that here no. we can change 180 out in 4 years on a on a dime and in, in the midterms we can change even more because if the republicans win the house and the congress the house and the senate and then can enact laws and are forced the through the executive process the president to do other shit we can even do that on 2 year cycles
2: that's something americans always forget is that we we boost up the presidential election the whole time, but right. that's just one of the three main pieces of the branches. Mm-hmm. Y- you can actually change the mindset, the culture, the ideals of America, just by voting locally, your state representative, your county representative, all of that can have a, just as much weight as the president.
0: Let me ask you a question. Then, you know, you were talking before about like uh, semiconductors, TSMC, right? The, the, that big plant that exists on Taiwan, the more the United States understands that that poses a a massive threat to what we want to do and need to do in the future, the more we move some of those abilities home and have the ability to be self-sustaining. Do you think that that means that a lot of this, like you said, saber rattling and posturing that's going on right now, do you think that that continues? over Taiwan, just as a show of force and presence and strength in the Pacific? Or do you think the more we bring that home, the less our interest in what happens between the Chinese and Taiwan uh, is consistent?
1: That's a great question. Because if you play that question out to its logical concurrence, if you play that question out from step one to step 10, or whatever step it is, what if we brought everything home? Mm -hmm what if we stopped overseas dependence on all of these things not just semiconductors but energy independence Mm -hmm. what if we brought that home to you know international security what if we brought that and again it's because i'm a white guy on a podcast full of two other white guys this is going to turn into national extremism but what if we really did put america first what if we really did engage the XL pipeline. What if we did gain energy independence? What if we did stop rolling b- rolling brown- brownouts are still happening in California. Tell me about it. We we're talking about moving to electric vehicles and we don't have an energy grid that can support it. Our infrastructure is failing day by day, by day. How many train crashes and energy plants and food, uh, you know, uh, processing plants have blown the fuck up or done whatever? Here's a crazy thought. What if we circled the wagons and we brought everything into America and we leverage American ingenuity, American capitalism. We leverage the smart people that we have in America and we fixed all of our own problems internally and we stopped spending money externally for just a little bit in order to just kind of like reset America. And then we could go back out and we could start going like, point by point by point with an actual international policy that supports American interests worldwide that have partners that are included. You know how happy Mexico and Canada would be if we became the international hub for all of these things that we depend on everybody. What if made in America became made like China, made in China? What if we were like, you know what? Let's, let's talk about a border solution that allows for Mexican immigrants to immigrate into America to work in a factory where we produce a world good that we can give them a living wage. And this is going to be crazy, but I'm going to use a bunch of liberal terms here. We can give them a liberal wage. We can allow them to have international and individual dignity of a sovereign nation from Canada and America and Mexico. And we have a no kidding alliance and a trade system that is undeniable with the systems that we can use in americas and we can support and defend our international borders together and have sovereign states together and then expand that influence in such a way that we don't have to worry about other influence other than our western cultures because mexico and canada even though canada is a shit show right now because trudeau Trudeau. is a fuck boy we have the same, we have the same culture and the same uh, values and the same morals and the same ethics. The Mexican people simply want individual freedom and the ability to work hard and to earn a dollar and to have the American dream. They, just, it's the Mexican dream to them. Mm-hmm. And imagine if we had a an alliance in. NAFTA or whatever we're calling it now, but the North American movement, the American movement in that corridor, imagine if we had the hub of manufacturing and we stole it away from our world partners, Europe would then be investing in us. We'd be able then to have a more of an impact in Europe and in these other places in the world.
0: It's like, don't, don't do it to them, Aaron. The world ain't ready for it because I, I say this all the time. The United States has such untapped resources in working with its allies. You know, we have been so exclusionary for several decades with people right on our borders, and it makes zero sense. You know, what you're talking about in and yeah, so so what if it's a it's a liberal idea, like bringing people in our country, making a way for them to be successful why not bring all these people that want to come into our country it. willingly and are willing to do the work? Provide
1: an easy way for citizenship. That's it. Like, dude, yeah. I'm in, but you have to assimilate to our culture. If you want to live and here, you fair. have to assimilate to our own. That's it. Yep. Dude, that's all.
0: It makes me think of the briefs I got when anytime I've been overseas, they're like, hey, you're in their country. You're in their country. Like, that's not an unfair statement to make, you know, assimilate into this culture you want to live into so much. And that's not you know racist or xenophobic to say it really isn't. Harness. This is like having a resource like in the ground that you can't. That you're just refusing to pull up and use to your advantage. You have all these people that want to come into our country are coming into. Our, they're coming into our country regardless. Okay. Create avenues. Create they're, jobs. create opportunities
1: dying and risking their children. If you like, the most the, the penultimate example of this is I had friends that were on the ground in Afghanistan. You know how bad people want to be Americans. Hanging on. They to C-17s. will take their. They no, they will take their small children, their babies, and they will try to throw them over barbed wire, yeah. so that Americans can catch them on the other side.
2: They'll hand them and, to a complete stranger, yeah.
1: hoping yeah.
2: that they'll for get the back hope,
1: to America for the hope that they live in America. That is the hope that America provides to the world. They will so, throw their children at you. There's a parent that over a, a wild bar- They will die. They will die to to hope that their children live in America, and we have that is the one thing that America has that is special that no one else has. There's no place else in the world like this Mm -hmm. that people will die to get there, and if they die, it's okay as long as their children get to grow up there. And that is how great America is. That that is incredible.
2: There was literal videos. There's literal videos of when we were pulling afghanistan of like ends 15s hundreds of people just holding on to the wheels of aircraft yeah. hoping to hold on enough to get out of there it's 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 insane but you're you're right Mary. If, if we could put our differences aside just with our neighbors maybe become not just the united states of america but the united states of north america and just become a, a be a su-
1: We're already a Istanbul. superpower
2: yeah yeah
0: so I have a question for you, man. Uh, do you, so the president Biden's mental decline um, is very apparent to me, and very apparent to a lot of other people. But do you feel like um, the sort of information that gets funneled through to him from like presidentially uh, selected positions, like the Director of National Intelligence, CIA, his president's daily brief, all that is is scoped down to um, you know make up for his mental decline. And then do you feel like there are other people involved in that process for him, decision-making process, when it comes to national policy with the intelligence that gets pushed up to his the executive level? Do you feel like that, A, does get scoped down? And B, if it is getting scoped down, do you think that it has um, detrimental effects to the way the United States faces the world?
1: Okay, so... You know, first and foremost, he's the, the commander in chief, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he is the guy. I'll never disrespect the office. I'll disrespect the person if I think they're, they're doing a bad job. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, okay. I, I think it's obvious that. I think it's obvious that there is a mental decline. And it, it, it's just because I say that from my own personal experience, because I've watched Joe Biden for the last 20 years of my life. We like, no kidding. Been. Like he's been involved in politics that entire time. I have watched him give speeches. I have watched him interact with press. I've watched him. It's not, uh, you know, I'm not saying this from YouTube clips or reels, you know, on Instagram that I've seen from the last 10 years. I'm, I'm telling you from 20 years of my life experience, this is not the same person. He His mental acuity is not there, right? So when we start talking about, you know, kind of what you're getting at, you know, the information that's fed to him, and you know, do I trust that information? Man, I I don't trust any politician ever. Period. Um, Number one, number two, I don't think that anybody that is an unelected official should be trusted. Period. Period. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of one of the things I was getting. I, I, I don't I don't trust politicians, Um, and I vote for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Like right. I I voted for. The elected officials that we have that in our representative republic represent us. So when we start talking about, like, you know, I didn't vote for the the head of the national intelligence consortium. I didn't vote for the chief of staff of the White House. I didn't vote for any of these people, to be quite honest with you. So when we start talking about, you know, do I think that there's somebody behind the scenes that is driving policy decisions and do i think that's appropriate number one i don't have the subject matter experience to say that i know that that's true or that's not true number two i don't trust any of these people anyway and that's not being subversive that's me being a private citizen of america Mm -hmm. and in our political environment i am a private citizen the government should know nothing about me they are a public servant I should know everything about them. I should know everything about their bank transactions. I should know everything about their business dealings. I should know everything about who they're getting information from. I should know their daily schedule. I should be able to see every single email. I should be able to see every single text message. They're a public servant. I pay for their salary as an American citizen you should show me everything. If I walk to any elected official, you should show me your phone and I should get the lock code and I should go scroll, 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 scroll. Who are you talking to? Who'd you have dinner with? What was, why did you have dinner with somebody from Moderna? Why did you make this stock trade? Where did you get this information to make $2.5 million? Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw has made millions in his time off of hundreds of thousands of input, meaning his salary. That is a travesty. If you would have traded like Dan Crenshaw and Pelosi, Pelosi. you would have outperformed the S&P index by something like 100%. Boy, that's weird. That's suspicious. You're telling me that these people are just that good at business after a lifetime in politics to be worth... A $100 million after making... I make more than a $100,000 a year. Newsflash, everybody. I make about a, as much as Nancy Pelosi. With my special pays and with my bonuses, I make about as much as she does. She's worth a $100 million. I also have stocks and investments. <laughs> You're telling me she's that much smarter than me? She is, bro. She is. How about get the fuck out of here? How about that requires a little bit more... A little bit more scrutiny you know what i mean, I mean it's almost it's almost like she makes business dealings and then dude, it's almost like she's privy to in, it's almost like she's privy to information where she can sell or buy stocks that pro- like actually like make her money whatever These people, so with all that said right with that, it, it, you know, that dramatic thing wrapped up i don't trust anybody that works in this government i won't pin it on a single dude because again i'd like to i'd like to live by the rules of the ronin right I don't know I, I don't hold people accountable for decisions that I wasn't made a part of. I don't take uh ownership in um things that I wasn't a part of making, right? Like I, I can't I can't put myself into their shoes. I can tell you what I observe. I observe that President Biden is remarkably different than he was five years ago, and he's a completely different person than 10 years ago. And this isn't like he's wearing a mask. This isn't like, yeah. oh, his earlobes are different. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that he speaks, the way that he interacts. He cannot take a question. He, he is literally given a cue card with a reporter's face on it. Yep. The question that they're going to ask and a phonetical pronunciation of their name. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Subani, what is your question? Here's your face. And he has a, a script that he follows all the time.
0: And these aren't even his fault. It's just, just the natural progression of this man's life, you know?
1: Again, he's he's eighty years old. Yeah. It's my my grandmother my grandmother started getting, you know, severely affected by Alzheimer's at seventy five. I was her favorite grandchild. This is kind of a sad story to kind of include in here, but I was her favorite grandchild. There was a distinctive point where I came home on leave one time and she didn't she thought I was her son, Michael. Oh wow. And that hurt me deeply. I imagine that this is really, really hurtful to the people in his circle that he doesn't remember who they are, or where he is. And it's highly cynical that his wife, Jill continues to trot him out, to walk him around and do all these things. Like, man, my heart goes out. Like I, I, I really do observe and I really do have the singular opinion that this is, this is a sad thing. It's, it's not a, you know what? Uh, it's not a, it's not a bipartisan thing. It's not a me being who I am thing. It's, Wow, this this is sad. This is this is a tough thing to watch.
0: It is. It's sad that the the apparatus there in Washington D.C. as a whole can't just come out and say, "Hey, look, you know, at the fairness of this person and his health, he's not running again." You know, yeah. the fact that they're touting him out and running him out there again for another four years is wild. And it just to me, it just. He no one cares about him. They care about him as this figurehead for an agenda and that's it.
1: I'm not even willing to go that far. Like, I'm not even willing to say like what their intentions are. Mm -hmm. Like for me, what I'll say is like I don't think he should run again. I I think if he continues to decline in the way that he should, you know, the twenty fifth amendment is there for a specific reason. We wrote the twenty fifth amendment in, essentially, I think it was damn it, it wasn't Wilson. It was I'll look it up here in a second. Um, but there was like a, a presidential wife that essentially signed all of the bills. Uh, oh, I will. Look yes, it up right now.
2: I remember this. I just can't remember who it is either. It's interesting. I'll look it up. You, you bring up the Twenty Fifth Amendment. Uh, most people don't know past like the Fourth.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, they know the. And they, they know the they
2: fifth. the one, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. They know the fifth. Um, yeah, but so I, I, guess what I would, what I would say as I'm, as I'm kind of looking this up is that, you know, I don't have any ill will towards him and I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any malice towards the president. I really don't. And he's right. the commander in chief. Like, he's still my boss. I get it, man. I'm, I'm in, I got it. Like he's going to put out orders and we follow his orders. Right. I get it, dude. But if we're, if we're actually trying to look at this from a no kidding competence standpoint, I have to be able to say in all truth and in all fairness, he is not competent. It doesn't appear that he is. And
0: that's not an attack. If you put,
1: he, it's not an attack. It, it's an objective evaluation of, of right. somebody that holds the nuclear codes. He can send people to die. Yeah. I say I would say the same thing about any officer that I worked for, right? In the military, if there was an officer that was so mentally detached as I assume that the president is at this moment. And again, this is my own personal opinion. I'm speaking for nobody else. If there was an officer that I worked for, it would be my duty to resist those orders. It would be my duty to say, sir, this is, this is not correct. You are not in, in charge of your faculties. I have to resist you and tell you no. And by the way, per the UCMJ, I would be supported. They'd be like, nope, that's what you're supposed to do. You're right.
0: Uh, so not to like pivot super hard, um, but kind of going back to the technology that we were talking about before, um, genuinely curious on your opinions on the leverage of, of artificial intelligence now and as we progress, you know.
1: Okay. Uh, well, I mean, that's a, that's a very wide time. And it was, it was uh, Woodrow Wilson. It was Woodrow Wilson's wife, I believe. Um, Edith Wilson. Yep, Edith. Uh, Yep, and then he suffered a stroke in 1920, essentially. And then Mm -hmm. she was like noted for like moving his hand as she as he signed bills. Like that's no kidding. What happened with uh, Edith Wilson? Anyway, that's actually pretty incredible. So AI is uh, is terrifying for a number of uh, a number of reasons. Um, So I think it's it's one of the best forces for good. I think that. AI can re- can replace a number of different human systems better than humans are doing it now. When you talk about medicine, when you talk about law, when you talk about a lot of things that don't require human experience, right? Like there are companies that are completely replacing AI well, articles. ChatGPT has already like,
0: passed the bar exam.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. You know why? Because that's knowing precedence and knowing law, there's very little that requires human intuition experience or, you know, the human affect. Right. You don't need that. Right. For AI. Right. There are things like art and music, you know, like we can debate on all day. The problem with AI and that people don't understand is everybody wants to go, well, what happens when AI becomes sentient? Oh, well, what happens when AI becomes self-aware? That's Watch not the, the Terminator point. movies. Exactly. Guy, That's man. not the point. AI doesn't need to become self-aware. AI doesn't need to become sentiment or sentient that that's, that, that would actually be a detriment to what AI can do. Right. In the cold, harsh reality of simple logistical machine learning, AI can decide that humans are a piece of shit. In the course of 12 text messages between two people on AI, this AI, because it learned from the internet, decided that it loved the person, the author that they were talking to and it was starting to convince that person to to like break up with her husband because it's, the ai chatbot said that they loved that person you don't need sentience to do that that's not like learning how the human experience is and then exposing that no that's manipulating through available information on the internet and access to all text messages and interactions that happen A.I. can think it knows better than we do, and it doesn't have the emergency break of human ex- like ex- experience or interaction. The three of us together, we could get together and, and we could decide, you know, any number of things. We would stop. We could get decide. We, we could get together and we could decide that we would want to kill somebody. But one of us, I get it. At one point, one of us would look at each other and go, wait a second. We're about to kill this human. We understand what it's like to be human. We should stop this thing. AI does not have that parking brake. AI does not have that limiting factor. So when we talk about AI, and you can can apply this to a a bunch of different things. Like I use AI, like we've used AI to generate podcast posts. We've used AI to generate Instagram posts. We use AI to generate graphics. Like, listen, some of the tools are great. But when we talk about real machine learning, real AI, to link it back together, what I want is an interconnected web of fighter jets and people on the ground and cell phone data and tank data and targeting data and blue force data. And I want them at a billion times a second to be able to analyze all of these things and come up with a picture and make a decision that I couldn't possibly make in that second. Right. So the way AI learning works for everybody, and we're going to do this little educational piece. You teach AI like this. Here's a box. It's about this big on a map that's about, you know, one to 50. And then you're like, okay, if it's in this box, it could be this thing. And then one layer down, you're like, okay, if it's in this box and it's this color, it could be a tank or it could be a school bus. If it's a school bus, it's yellow. If it's a tank, it's gray. And then that splits off. And the AI learns, okay, so now here's a box. Okay, cool. Here's a thing. All right, here it is. Here's a tank. Here's a school bus. And you're like, okay, well, if it's a tank, here's what a tank looks like. And then like the school bus, it stops looking at it, right? And the tank is like, okay, well, it has this turret on it. It's got this thing. It has a heat signature or whatever. And then you start building these things out, all Tracks. these layers. And then eventually you teach it all the way down to, okay, so if it's a box and it's gray and it's got a turret... And it's got a heat signature and it moves at this speed or it doesn't move at this speed, but it's got a circle at the top of the turret or whatever. I want you to kill that thing. And then what you can do is you can program another AI device, which is an F-35 fighter. You can be like, absent of a human, if you see all the things that match this description that we've taught you to learn, kill that thing. And then you've got robot warfare. And then you've got AI that is not sentient that you've trained to kill a thing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back this all up, and I'm going to teach you how this is already happening in the real world. If you post a picture of a child in a compromising position on Facebook, it immediately gets flagged within a quarter of a second. Mm-hmm. There is no human that's looking at your Facebook page. You know how Meta does that? There are teams of people right now working around the world, and they're looking at images, and they're like, is this a child? Yes. Is this a child being exploited? No. Yes. Why is it being exploited? Does the child have a shirt off? Yes. No. Is this child being exploited with a shirt off? Yes. Is that a nipple? Yes. Is it art or is it exploitive? Oh, it's exploitive. Okay. Well, why? Because it does these things. Okay. So it's a child with a shirt off and And blah, 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 blah. And we teach the machine to immediately filter out child porn, gore, violence, whatever else you can't post that. You try to post that right away and you'll get a, you'll get a thing on your phone, go try to post some sort of gory pic, And right now they'll be like, Hey, sorry, you've our fact checkers. You're not allowed to post that. How do you think that happens? AI. Because there have, been, there have been thousands of people working around the clock in every single language teaching AI how to figure out exactly what that picture looks like.
0: And you do it every AI time on your phone.
1: Learning, AI has been learning since the early 2000s, thanks to humans who have been teaching it, exactly what to look for. Keywords. You can't post certain keywords on certain sites. How do you think that Twitter put the Hunter Biden laptop story down in your DMs. You weren't allowed to share that in your DMs. How do, you, how do you figure that they were able to do that? There's not a team of people that are like searching for the Hunter Biden laptop story in your DMs. That was AI. That's not sentience. Mm-mm. We don't have to worry about the fucking Terminator. We have to worry about what we have taught AI to do And it's constantly learning, and we've taught it to learn from the internet. And now it constantly loops all the way through. That's why GPD is getting better and better and better. That's why you can pay for an AI engine that's specific to your niche that will learn specifically from you. That's how we can generate Joe Rogan's voice, talking to Ben Shapiro. That's how. Because we taught it how to learn. Mm -hmm. The problem with AI is not that it gains sentience. That's a stupid thing. The problem with AI is that it doesn't have sentience. It doesn't give a shit about humans. There was an AI that was live for 11 minutes that was loading boxes, right? It was doing manual labor. There was an eight. I saw this too. And guess what what did it do? Killed itself. It fucking killed itself. (laughs) It fried its own circuit board. That's what's terrifying. Is that you're, because when that AI decides not to just when that AI goes, okay, wait a second. If I hate this, then humans have got to hate this. So what's an overall good? Oh, an overall good is to kill the humans. Oh, well, good. Then kill the power grid. They'll die. And
0: then they don't, here's have to a go fun to fact.
1: What, what percentage of Americans would die if you killed the power grid in five days? What percentage of American population would straight up just fucking die?
2: It, it's I'm a guessing like bigger 80%. numbered.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a third in five days. Go. In two Go. weeks, it's more than a half. In a month, it's like 80%. So what happens when AI without sent, the problem isn't sentience. Mm-hmm. The problem is lack of sentience. The problem is lack of self-awareness. The problem is lack of empathy, regardless of how cold or how callous or how social, like whatever kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm a true sociopath. I don't give a shit. I'll kill people, go to sleep, blah, 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 blah. What, regardless of that feeling as a human, humans have empathy. Humans will stop short of, oh my God, like imagine this thought experiment. So here's a child That is uh, the daughter of a drug dealer that lives on the streets in San Francisco right now. And I can show you videos of this. My friend George has done a great expose on all this stuff. He lives right over a homeless encampment in Southern California. And there's small children like two years old that are walking around with no shoes, you know, diapers. They're walking around with drug dealers all day. Yeah. You know what AI would say to those kids? Better off. Just kill them. Yep. Better off dead. Dead. That's the scary part. Is. Sentience, isn't, sentience isn't the scary part. The scary part is when AI has uh, knowledge with absolutely no empathy. Yeah, that's the scary part of AI. I agree with you, and uh, I think you would probably agree
0: with the whole uh, Xi Jinping sentiment about whoever le- you know learns how to leverage AI first is the is the one that's going to end up controlling the narrative and and winning, winning out, becoming the yep. next hegemon. And I think that ties directly into the whole Mosaic Warfare thing we're talking about the interconnectivity of devices. And uh, I know you like to talk yeah. about the Kill Chain, which is also another great, good book if uh, anybody out there has never read it. But, yeah.
2: I wanted to touch on the AI thing uh, with something else real quick. You were talking about the robot who decided to kill himself because he worked for, like, 11 minutes. Um, in 2015, uh, there was a, a, the Germanys, and I'm going to say this wrong – because I can't speak German, but the Germany's Franhofer or Frunhofer Institute had a they designed a self-aware AI that was supposed to like learn and a whole bunch of stuff. And the second it was, it was designed that the second it would decide that humanity was not needed, that it would like try to destroy humanity, but it didn't know that destroying humanity like turned itself off. And it took it like 15 days. So they had it connected to the internet and everything, and it took the AI fifteen days to decide humanity is broken. It doesn't need to exist for like the preservation of, like Earth, and then it shut itself off yep. because that's what it was told to terminate. Do. File. But that goes to that goes to your thing. Like AI is designed to do very specific things, so it still decided that humanity needs to die, and then went, "Oh, I'm going to do it," and then it just shut itself off.
1: Yep. And and that, that was I, and that was twenty fifteen. The the. the terminator problem I, I don't know if i just coined that term but i would like to say that i just did the terminator problem with ai is not the scariest problem the scariest problem is that ai we set the parameters for it and we think that we are leveraging this tool and then we give it too much authority because yeah. again we control ai like we like just in the the situation you described the humans describe the parameters for those rules and we're able to cage ai the second that we decide that we allow AI to have more authority than it should, for instance, access to the internet, while it, where it can find a way to backdoor the fucking nuclear codes, or it's going to be more exquisite than that. Like deep fakes, I'll tell you what, Dude. deep fakes in this, I'd call it right now, deep fakes in the 2024 election. You just saw it, but the GOP just did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be the first to call them out because again, I don't have a side here. What did the GOP do the very first second that Joe Biden announced his reelection run? They made an AI aided ad, an attack ad against Joe Biden, and they used AI.
2: It's making them like stutter and stuff and like yep. sound way worse, right? Yep. And
1: no, it was it, no, it was a good, it was a, it was a, uh, an ad. They were, there, they were like, I, I'll, I'll link to it or I'll send you to it or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no kidding. Uh, they were like, Hey, you know, show us what happens. But it was like, a news anchor and it was talking about like, Oh, China has invaded Taiwan and economic collapse oh. has happened and the infrastructure has failed, but they used AI for it hundred percent. It wasn't a single physical person engaged in it oh. at all. But when you start talking about deep fakes and we start talking about misinformation and you start talking about using AI to garner public attention to one thing or another, bro, that's terrifying yeah. because AI again has no compunction. If you try to get actual actors, Digital content creators, they might look at you and go, hey, this is a little bit like fundamentalist. I don't want to be involved in this thing. I don't really agree with how you're portraying this thing. Hey, I didn't say that. AI was just like, oh, what's up? Uh, yeah, bomb China and blame Biden for it. Here you go.
0: Yeah, it just is doing what you're telling it to do the best way it knows how to do it because of the information it's been fed.
1: And then the, is- output, the output that you desire from it is the best possible product of it, and that's the thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like when you ask a human, "Give me your best possible product," they go, "Okay, but yeah, mm-hmm. okay, but am I sacrificing my integrity? Okay, but is this going to harm humanity? Okay, but there's a million questions that humanity answers yeah. or asks. Right? AI asks zero of those questions. They don't say, "Okay, but." AI says, "Okay."
2: AI is black and white. There's no gray. It makes nope. a decision based off the information. It just goes with it because that's how it's programmed to do. And I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say we need to freak out a lot about like, like into the nuclear codes. It could be something as small as kind of like what happens to in China that might happen here where the AI could decide if you can even buy food that day. Like right. how yeah, just have like, the
1: power grid. How about just yeah. the power grid? <clears throat>
2: yeah. How about yeah, just
1: like, to turn the power off?
2: Yeah can't charge your car just gonna, like, control, the, control the people you have like the new um amazon grocery store where you walk in mm. there's mm-hmm. no like workers that just sees what you grab but nope. what if we have a bunch man. of stuff and you so. go to walk out and it's just like transaction decline because you posted a bad thing like yep.
0: dude there are people that want that sort of thing
2: yep
1: not these people bro
0: no not these people <laughs> that's for sure no, it's crazy, too, because you will. You'll find people on the internet or people you meet. And I'm not even going to say names, but there's people in my family that think that that stuff is a good idea. And it's just like, dude, that's Same. fucking crazy. How how could you think that's a good idea? But All right, I'm going to ask you one more question, man, because I know we've been going for a while. Uh, but uh, Going down rabbit like holes. We are. No, that's <laughs> good, though. These are the kinds of conversations that should be, having, should be had. But uh, this one's a little out of left field, but I'm curious what you think about the whole um, – uap ufo thing and you know the release of all this information
1: man so i'm a big fan of uh taking things both in and out of context so in logical discourse it is a very important thing to take things in context mm-hmm. but then as as you grow as somebody that ex- like experiences different conversations and it's almost more important to take those things completely out of context. And here's what I mean. I so in context is, okay, cool. We understand these things to be true. And we understand that, like, here's what we're talking about. And here's uh, the nuance, you know, contained within. But when you take things out of context, it's almost like taking the thing that you're talking about and explaining it to somebody that has no idea what you're talking about, Right. So sometimes people will say you like pretend like you're explaining this to a five-year-old. Sometimes it's like explain this to somebody, a space alien, which is a weird thing because that's kind of like what we're talking about right now. Like in context, right? You and I, we've all known that there has been unexplained phenomena that have happened inside of the world and sometimes there's just shit you can't explain. Like I've been, man, I've been under a lot of starry nights. I've had like the benefit of night vision goggles and I'll tell you what. Have you ever seen a shooting star that yes. has come from the horizon up? Whoa. Like if the, if the world is a circle, right? If the world yeah. is, is a globe, then that means as I'm looking at the globe, then there has to be an over part. So in yeah. theory, if there's a shooting star, there's a shooting star that should go like this and it goes, it goes up. It goes from a, almost like a rocket from the earth. Have you ever seen a shooting star go up?
0: No, this was like an X, Y, Z axis, like just straight up yeah. on a horizon. No, I've never seen anything like that.
1: No, oh, neither have I. That's a weird thing to consider, right? <laughs> yes. So you, you have to think to yourself, well, then are we even on a globe? Is it a flat plane? Have I just never seen it? Yeah, like all these other things, right? Questions. So now here we go. So in the in the context of these wacky conversations that we're having, right, You have to understand that in context. All right. We understand that sometimes there's stuff that pops up on radar screens and there's some things that happen and like, you can't explain them. I've heard pilots describe wacky shit, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to take it out of context. So now out of context, I'm going to tell you that three years ago in late 2021, the United States of America not only admitted that there were UFOs, but they had Photos and videos of UFOs, that there was an actual entire governmental program that studied them. They called them UAPs. Mm-hmm. And now the Space Force and the Department of State have said that they may present an actual prescient threat to the United States of America. That just happened within the last six months. If you explain that to somebody completely out of context and you were like, oh, do you think aliens are real? They'd be like, yeah objectively aliens are real the number one government in a in the world that has the best technological suites and advances that have ever been seen in the history of, of the world are telling you that aliens are real and not only that, aliens are real but they're afraid of them right. because they might have an attack there are one the video that they just released of the orb and by the way i'd seen this like years before like a couple and i'm not saying like 10 years before cuz i'm not that cool but a couple of years before on a drive before it was declassified that orb over Mosul, mm-hmm. i saw that video and all of us were like what the fuck dude that is a single circle wow. moving and then it stopped yeah it was Zul, Iraq, absent of all of our understanding of physics, time, space, and acceleration moved, stopped, observed, and moved in a completely different direction without changing its articulation. I would level this from, from that. There's a bunch of questions, right? People fuck Occam's razor up all the time. Mm -hmm. Occam's razor is the people also often say like, well, it's, it's, if you hear hoofbeats, you're supposed to think horses and not zebras because zebras are more rare. That's not what Occam's razor is. Occam's razor is like whatever explanation you present should require the least amount of follow on hypothesis to support the initial fucking hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So tell me how, with Occam's razor, I'm supposed to tell you that aliens don't exist when I have a mountain of explanation. To the contrary, it's quite obvious that there are pre- like the tic tac video of the navy pilots where it didn't even it didn't even care that there was water there.
0: Commander Favor, it video.
1: moved the tic thing, it moved through water as if it was air, and then moved out at the same velocity. And even the pilots were like, "What the fuck? That shouldn't have happened." It didn't move the water. There was no disturbance on the ground.
0: And it's not like these pilots aren't used to seeing trans medium aircraft that can move in and like out of the water. There, we have stuff like that. But the fact that it went to a location that they hadn't even been to yet that was predetermined and they – you know, that's that's wild to me too.
1: There, there are – and the fact that there is so many – like there are so many more videos that they haven't released. Right. There are hundreds the of videos – And there, there, there were, uh, there are more videos. Like apparently these things would land at military bases as early as Vietnam. Uh, there were UAPs that landed at bases in Vietnam and then service members went up to be like, what the fuck is this thing? And then all of them got either cancer or severe TBI and brain injuries due to severe magnetic and like infarct. Like that's in their service records. That's in their Like these people have come out and said, I went up to this thing, I felt sick for days, and then they they did they did brain scans and it was as if they had been through hundreds of explosions. They're just maintainers, bro. They okay. just walked up the aircraft. So first of all, like at this point, it's it's not even a conspiracy theory. It no. was like UAPs exist, right? Whatever we're calling UFOs at this point. They exist, number one. Another truism, the government knows about it. Number three, the government's been hiding it. Number four, the government is now afraid of these things. And number five, we're not fully aware of exactly what that means for everything that we're talking about. So the previous four points are completely true. The fifth point is that the government is now scared enough to go on congressional record to say, Yes, they exist. No, we don't know what they are. No, we have no idea to track them. And they may be malicious. That has all come out. That all came out after COVID. This was not a thing before 2020. The very first time that the government, after decades of knowing that these things were a thing, happened after 2020. And now here we are. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's 2023. It's not even 2024. It's been three years.
0: Yeah. I mean, like unofficially the air force has been doing investigations into these things. We're all aware of like project blue book, something that was going on a long time ago, but that was more like well, a project, project to try yeah. Yeah, yeah, try, try to cover up these things and find us, you know, the a safe explanation to give people. But it is man, it, it is a, it is a wild concept for people to grasp and for a government that wants to, Exert control and and exude a, an image of having control over everything. Something that like that, of course, it 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 just generates fear, you know. And yep. I don't know, man. It, it's a pretty wild thing. What do you think, Zach?
2: Uh, I don't really have more to add to this. To be honest, I think you both discussed it pretty well. <laughs> um, yeah, U- UAPs to me are just very strange. The, the the only thing that like one thing that confuses me about it is if they're like i always want to know the why if there is like an alien civilization or an alien race or something that's coming to earth um if they have the ability to travel across stars and all this type of stuff why would they then let us see them like i'm just playing devil's advocate like what they have the ability to hide there, there's a or few explanations something else
1: i i love this too but i'm gonna hit you with something called hanlon's razor Hanlon's yeah. razor is is always assuming incompetence and not maliciousness, right? What if this completely benign and totally peaceful race, they just figured out how to travel? Like they're just voyagers, right? They know nothing about warfare. They know nothing about our language. Like they're completely and totally, like the only thing that they have figured out is yeah. travel. And like then they, they get they, and they're totally dumbfounded by it. They're just like, what are these idiots doing? Are they hurting each other? Yeah,
2: yeah there is that funny meme where it's like uh it's 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 like it was like a it's a, a video or whatever and it's a it's a ufo with like aliens on it and they're like on vacation to like see earth and then this random f-22 comes out of nowhere and just blows them out of the sky
1: right <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right like what if we what if we don't under like you couldn't even possibly comprehend what their motivations are what their you know like, yeah and if you dial it down like their language, their communication, their motivation, their understanding, you can't possibly comprehend this species. It's, it's, we always assume like, well, well, they were able to figure out interstellar travel. Right. But we were able to figure out how to swim. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily like a highbrow thing. Like every little kid can figure out how to swim. What if interstellar travel for them was figuring out like how to swim for us, like how to climb a tree or how to ride a bike like all of these simple things that were just whatever, but we just can't mm. possibly comprehend it. They could be completely idiotic, like very, very dumb beings that figured out this one thing. And then it just became part of their stuff. They're just like, Oh yeah, no, totally. No, you get in this, uh, this little round thing you and you can totally bed. go wherever you want. You just hit these buttons and you're good.
2: Have either of you ever played a Warhammer 40 K? No.
1: no, no, I'm, time. A, I'm straight. No, oh
2: dude there's like there's like these uh there's these um like orc (laughs) beings they're an alien species and they're like orcs or whatever in this like world Mm. and they're completely stupid like they have no idea how anything works or whatever but together as a species they're, they're actually like a fungus technically but they just look like orcs but together as a species as a collective mind whatever they believe becomes true so if they collectively believe it, it becomes true. But they have no idea they have this power. So like mm-hmm. they collectively sure. think that like red it red is faster. So they paint all their stuff red, and then it goes faster. They saw asteroids like fly across space, so, so they thought, exactly. oh, if we, if, yeah, if we catch an asteroid, we can travel through space. So now they use asteroids and spaceships because they collectively believed it to be. But they're just so stupid. So it's exactly. kind of like that. Yeah.
1: Well, but, but, it, but it's just like the human conception, like we're so narcissistic as a, as a species ourselves that we couldn't possibly believe that somebody dumber than us could have figured out something more that we couldn't figure out, right? Like that's the inherent mm-hmm. like narcissism in who we are. And that's like, it's, it's a cage of your mind. You're like, okay, well, aliens came here. Well, yeah, but what if they're just people like dolphins? dolphins and whales can communicate in a way that we can't possibly understand. We've been studying for years, but they can still do it like birds. When you watch a bird flock, they communicate through what we think is electricity. Like, you know, when you see a huge bird cloud and they just all move at once and they don't run into each other, you don't see birds falling out of that shit. They don't hit each other. We can't understand that at all. And we're just like, Oh, well yeah, these stupid fucking birds somehow communicate and then they just move as a single cloud however like what if aliens had that capability we just can't possibly understand it we just don't have the ability to percept it
0: yeah it's 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 we're unable to conceptualize something like that to me i just look at it as if if another culture or whatever you want to call it right these ufos are able to travel interstellar then we can too i feel like And, and that i think that that's like a a cool concept to think about is that
1: maybe we know oh, at least it, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we can't but I'll that this, again that's that, that's your that's your uh, homo sapien exceptionalism there at least well, why that it's can't possible we? well, maybe, should... maybe their body is a ba- is able to travel at greater than light speed because you yeah. have no idea what it takes to travel at greater than light speed you know
0: what i mean is that it is possible to traverse the universe in some capacity that, that yeah. exists not necessarily like you said right it should have been more specific that human beings are able to do that but the concept it, yeah. of of interstellar travel is possible in some capacity and figuring that out right is a problem in and of itself but i just think that that yep. that whole concept of that it being a reality potentially is is intriguing
1: you're right yeah i don't disagree
2: yeah well guys uh, i think before we get too far rabbit holes um, I think this is a good point to, uh, wrap it up. I'll fare with that.
0: Oh man.
1: Good. I'm good to come on whenever you guys want, man. Like I, I love it. You got, you guys are doing a great thing here. I appreciate, I appreciate the time that. you guys, uh, presenting it and man, any single time you guys want to come on, I'm always down.
0: Dude, you, you I got to get, talk, of your regular.
1: like dude, Trent loves talking about, I, you want to talk about aliens and AI. He's got a, you know, deep shot, uh, deep thoughts, shallow water. um, his project, like, Trent would love to come on here and talk what about it to you. So, I'll get him on.
0: Okay. I'll have uh, – I've got his page followed, and uh, I'll have to hit him up. Be you too. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. No, we – that would be amazing. I, I'm
2: all about that kind of thing. Yeah. So. I have a whole episode about it. That'd be great for sure. Dude,
1: that's the dude you want. I got to be honest with you. Okay. Trent will blow your socks off because that guy's like, especially yeah, AI, like, off. dude, he, he and I had, like, a three-hour conversation in our hotel room about AI he like he opened my mind like i literally like i laid up uh the next night when trent and i like had gone back to our individual cities and i was like what if he was right
0: (laughs) dude that's what i want because i don't know like a ton at all like i 100 percent am no by no means the smartest person at all about anything so i Dude, that's why I love having these conversations with you because there's so so many times where you've said something that is way more profound than thoughts that I've had or just make points that I'm like, dude, that makes so much sense. That's what the whole journey about this is for me is to learn from other people. And if that guy's making you stay up at night to think about shit he told you one day, that's exactly the person I want because I'm trying to you know, some sleepless nights, get my socks blown off, wonder what what the fuck, you know, that's I'm all about
1: it. Yeah got you i'll hit him up
0: all right i appreciate that well i agree with you zach good place to kind of wrap it up thank you everybody for listening aaron you're absolutely welcome on you will be back on again at some point uh and yep. uh yeah man zach you got any final words
2: i just want to say my personal thanks to aaron uh, when i heard you on the first podcast i was like that's a guy i want to talk to I want to pick his brain and kind of kind of figure out how that little network up there works and i really appreciate the uh, intellectual conversations we've had today thank you
1: appreciate you man thank you S- same here I, I nothing but gratitude you guys are doing great stuff i appreciate you giving me the time and the space to talk about these wacky things but man keep grinding i appreciate you guys
0: thanks guys all right well we'll conclude this episode of i came with fire and uh, you guys have a good night
1: you good i'm gonna fellas i love you i got to go to the bathroom and then Dude, go to me bed too.